don't invest your hope in any institution or organization, but seek to develop yourself. And, and then once you do so, uh, the universe will begin to, to open up. Once you put your head above the para parapet, you'll find that there's a magnetic force between people who are going on the same journey. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is James Tunney. Paul shares an important dialogue with his friend, James Tunney, who is a mystic, artist, author, international lawyer, and expert on the history and intentions behind scientism and transhumanism. The topic of this episode is scientism, the life or death of our future. As Paul and James discuss, we are in the midst of major changes in how we see and experience the world today due to the influences of very advanced technologies being brought to the forefront of our daily lives by multinational corporations. We are now at the point where human beings have invented technologies so dangerous that they threaten life on Earth as we know it, and we must all get clear on a collective dream for our future. As Paul often says, if you have a big enough dream, you don't need a crisis. They talk about the history of the technical scientocracy movement and the ramifications of technology as an uprooting force, which pulls us away from our awareness and connection to nature or the self. Paul and James explore the important question of what role does transhumanism and posthumanism play and look at the potential dangers of some of the proposed uses of artificial intelligence. They discuss what might happen if we don't work collectively to hold science, governments, and regulatory bodies responsible and moral. And they explore ways we can use the same technologies that are enslaving us to free ourselves to communicate and educate ourselves better. They talk about eugenics and how any critique of contemporary society can be positively channeled to solve our problems moving forward. Paul and James share concepts for staying centered in possibility and affirmative action, as opposed to collapsing into fear and stress and freeze reactions, as well as managing the fight reaction such that it doesn't end up causing more problems than good. They conclude with talking about how we can assimilate the insights of mystics and spiritual teachers to help us practically and inspire us all to be agents of transformation. Enjoy the deep wisdom of James Tunney. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, we are going to talk about the life or death of our future. This may be one of the most important podcasts I have ever done, and hopefully it's going to be very important to you because we are going to look at some very real, very deep, very concerning issues. In some ways, they're positive. In some ways, they're a death force. And Nothing we're going to be talking about is a surprise to any of you if you listen to my podcast with any regularity. My guest is somebody I really love and appreciate dearly. He's been on the podcast before. It's James Tunney. James is the author of The Mystery of Trap Light, The Mystical Accord, Sutras to Suit Our Times, Lines for Spiritual Evolution. And his most recent books form the basis for our dialogue today, which are The Empire of Scientism, The Dispiriting Conspiracy and Inevitable Tyranny of Scientocracy, and his most recent book, Human Entrance into Transhumanism, Machine Merger and the End of Humanity. But before I stop on the introduction, James is not only a great writer, he is a mystic, a real one, a poet, an amazing one, an artist 
who I have the pleasure of saying I now have a beautiful piece of his art. Thanks to Jason Picard, who bought a piece of James's art for my birthday and shocked the hell out of me. It was funny as hell because I was first I saw this great big huge box and then I noticed it came all the way from Sweden. I'm like, what in the world is this big? And I totally blanked on the fact, James, that you lived in Sweden. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know that, but I just in the moment, you know. Yeah. And then I opened this up and I looked at this amazing piece of art and I went and stuck it on my easel and stepped back from it and first thing that caught my eye was a big white mushroom in the middle and I'm like, that is a badass piece of art. And then Jason looks at me and he goes, do you know who painted it? I said, no. He says, well, who do you know in Sweden? And I, I just blanked. I said, shit, you know, I, I, I said, I know lots of people in Sweden, but nobody that paints like this. He goes, James Tunney. And I went, you've got to be freaking kidding me. You bought this from James and had it shipped all the way here for my friggin' birthday. So I was just blown away and it's still sitting on my easel. I can't take it down. I just love looking at it. So James is a, a mystic, a poet, and an amazing artist. And he has also had an extensive career as an international lawyer, which is very important because James has a very deep understanding of the legalities of what's going on in the world. He's worked in the UN. He's uh, taught in uh, law schools. He's got a lot of experience in law. And our last interview was on enlightenment versus scientism in March of this year, which I totally loved and got great feedback on. So we're going to have a, a very important conversation today, and we're going to look at issues that are literally changing the way we live on this planet and what it means to be human. And that's something that's deeply concerning to both James and I, and possibly you, I would imagine. So James, welcome back to Living 4D. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to be able to share time and space with you and tap into that incredible mind of yours. Well, that's very kind kind of you, Paul. Thanks very much for the uh, introduction. And um, I did, as you may have noticed, dedicate the, that the recent book uh, to you. Yes, that uh, was a shocker too. <laughs> I opened up James's book. I'll even show you right on the video here in case you get to see the video. Right inside, you open up the cover. There's a beautiful piece of art. And then it says, uh, I can't see the screen, but it says. Yeah, to Paul Check. That's, uh, that's, that's Czech. right. And now again, that that, that's. Blew that's, me away. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate the work you're doing and other people appreciate the work you're doing in trying to draw your, your experience to, to, to the issue at hand. So I'm looking Thank forward you. to our conversation. I, I, I feel loved and supported and blessed at the same time. And I don't know if I've ever seen a book ever dedicated to me like that. So I've certainly been mentioned in lots of books and my students have written a lot of books, but that's the first one dedicated to me. So, and coming from you and on that topic, I, I think that's just uh, amazing. So You're very welcome. Thanks. Appreciate that. James, to begin with, can you give us an overview of the history of technical, the technical scientocracy movement? And um, is there a mental root to the contemporary context of all of this stuff? So in a nutshell, Give us a, a, a kind of a Reader's Digest version of how all this began so that we can begin our dialogue with 
uh, an understanding of how this got started. Okay, well, to, uh, I've I've described our which is which has now happened that uh, the present situation as a scientocracy, or we could say technocracy, or we could call it a technotronic society or a technological society. It, it all refers to the same thing for me. Scientocracy is a word that was favored by people like C.S. Lewis because he saw exactly what was happening in, in, in Britain. He saw what Huxley and Bernal and Wells and others proposed. And they proposed uh, 100 years ago that we would have a world government which was of scientists, which would uh, take over the governance through stealth, through scientific corporations, and they would rule the world in accordance with scientific objective principles, uh, an elite caste of scientists. Now that's, that's laid out, that's no secret. We can see that in the work of H.G. Wells. He called it an open conspiracy. Uh, and he, his other book was The New World Order. So people, you can find loads of articles about the New World Order conspiracy, but that's what they yeah, call it. Well, it's it. not much of a conspiracy anymore. No, but that's what they call it. That was the word that they used. And people like Bernal, the world of flesh and the devil, described what was going to happen, the breakaway civilization of scientists, uh, people would be turned into machines. It's incredible, but that was what, what, what was the plan. And the, the humans, the remaining humans who didn't want to go along with the new system would live in a human zoo, uh, perhaps unaware that experiments were being performed on them. Now, this, is, this sounds crazy, it sounds science fiction, but that is what the scientists have said. And even uh, when I was uh, growing up in Ireland uh, and listening to people like Arthur C. Clarke, he was explaining what was happening in the future. I, I agreed with what was, uh, I, I sensed that it, it was going to happen, all the things. But he proposed that there would be merger of man and machine. And that was something that was unfathomable to me. And it's been on my mind since. Who wants to merge with a machine? I, I just thought he was wrong. I couldn't see it. But as I got older and looked back at the historical sources, that's exactly what they, uh, the scientists intend. And in that context, that is partly related to an idea that we are machines. There is a, a long literature explaining or seeking to explain the human as a, a mere machine. And that mentality is associated with uh, an idea of mechanism, a certain type of mindset that uh, basically a materialist mindset that sees everything in materialist terms and interprets everything in materialist terms. And in certain ways, it it's, it's, is a, a particular mindset. It may, uh, the people themselves may not be able to escape from that, but it's also associated with imperialism. So we can take whatever uh, empire we want to, principally the Roman Empire, as it, and it has changed. It hasn't gone away in many senses. There is an idea of translatio imperii, where empires change from one form to another. And I argue that in Europe, the Roman Empire has transmogrified uh, through the Norman Empire, uh, through the British Empire and other empires into what we have now, uh, which is the empire of scientism as opposed to science, where, whereby scientism as an ideology can unite uh, a governance structure. And it's remarkable, of course, as well in China. China always had an imperial structure, you know, for as long as we can remember. So the fact that it's communist now doesn't really take away from the fact that they have a, an imperial structure. 
and they can turn to Confucius, for example, to assist with the uh, or manipulate those those doctrines to manipulate the population. It's done differently in, in Europe, but these empires can unite, and they are uniting, and they have united. So I, I would I now uh, would identify the key date as, as the start of 2020, when the empire of scientism actually came into being. I think history will identify that era whereby the uh, an emergency was utilized to implement global governance now you could say that, that that's a paranoid analysis on, on my part but the difference is that uh, i anticipated that and, and as, as i said to you before in, in in one of the books i wrote i i anticipated london being subject to lockdowns and draconian legislation and uh, that being used as a power grab, as has happened throughout history. So another, uh, so it's it, in that sense, I, I said it before, it ha- or elements of it before it happened. So it's not some. I'm not ex post facto describing what has happened. And I said it because one, I could sense it on a spiritual level, and two, intellectually, that's where all the all the directions were going. And with both sides of the brain, I, I was I was coming to the same conclusion. Although there was there was. I certainly felt helped in my explorations of mysticism and coming to that conclusion. And as well as that, the uh, there, there is a, a philosophical trend or associated with that that we can trace back to the scientific revolution in Britain in particular, from Francis Bacon through people like uh, Locke, uh, which was identified in particular by and challenged by William Blake and he understood what was happening, that there was, I, I think he anticipated what I call the empire of scientism a couple of hundred years before it really came to fruition in, a, in its fullest sense. And what he was criticizing was the idea of ratio or ratio. And this, this is a, a key concept which was associated with Locke. And this is the focus on the human mind as ratiocination which focuses on the calculating, logical, narrow aspect of human intelligence. And that's, that's, that's all it is. So the idea that what humans are are machines which can calculate. So if you take that narrow view, well, then you, take, you strip away all the other elements of, of humanity and you focus on a particular element. So this idea has has continued and informed the machine idea of the human, machine idea of society. And that's where we get to a situation where in the 20th century, Lewis Mumford was describing the mega machine, where we're sacrificing people for a great machine that creates war to get oil, for example, to feed other machines, where we are, we are making human sacrifices uh, to the machines. In the start of the 20th century, you had the futurism movement, in particular in Italy, and this would have informed fascism in Italy and communism. And in the, in the Futurist Manifesto in 1909, they identified their love of war, speed, technology. And this is, this is, a, this is the same mentality that you see in computer games, in, in the, the military-industrial complex. So all these forces continue uh, until we have the military-industrial complex as identified by an American president. So it's not some nutter on the fringes. It's, it's identified uh, in the farewell speech of an American president in the 60s because, because he saw what was happening. He saw there was going to be 
uh, or there was a great danger of a scientific elite uh, using public contracts to take over uh, control and, and gaining control. And uh, my argument is that the scientific uh, elites have been uh, or are joining up uh, internationally. And, and the last point in this uh, in this idea of, well, two last points in the Scientocracy. Uh, one is there is an association with uh, black magic, or if I'm sure that term is going to get changed with, uh, with another type of destructive magic, I've defined it as, uh, whereby people forget that sorcery is associated with the ruling class. The ruling class always are the ones that go and look for the sorcerers. So, for example, in the persecution of witchcraft in Scotland, uh, we're talking about a uh, from the royal fam King James. He was the one that wrote a book on demonology. <laughs> they they, <laughs> they feared. He was the one that feared uh, the the uh, witchcraft because he believed in it because they were associated to, 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 with another type. So in a way, it's a, like a black witch, white witch scenario. In some senses, people ignore that, that sorcery is often associated with magic. And sorcery uh, is often associated with high technology. As Arthur C. Clarke said, magic or high technology is indistinguishable from magic. And you can see this in particular with Norbert uh, Weiner, Weiner uh, the, the great cybernetician. He said that there is some strange uh, gadget, gadget worshippers uh, driving uh, an element of technology that they are incredibly like uh, sorcerers. And he said, this is a great danger. He understood that, although he had laid out the foundation for cybernetics, he understood that there was a dark side to it and it was associated with, with magic in some way. And this was, this was anticipated by people like Sri Aurobindo in his essay on supermanhood, where he explained that the Nietzschean Superman or super person or superhuman idea lends itself to a particular type of magic. It was also identified by Manly Hall, for example, where Manly Hall said that the greatest black magic uh, is, is the scientific, uh, the application of scientific principles. So he says that in, in the secret teaching of the ages. So we have a combination of forces which are manifesting now in systems of governance. So what has been happening in terms of, 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 of international global governance structures is there's been a movement of power away from the nation state to power within transnational spaces, which are not accountable, which have been meeting for, for, for years, which have been making decisions, which, are, which has manifest itself in, in, in the coordination across boundaries, where you see the same project happening in different countries. Now, uh, I've taught antitrust law as well. And antitrust law or competition law is like in the Sherman Act in the United States or the Clayton Act, is about how you police the market and how the government as referee polices the market. So if companies are conspiring, they don't, they don't do it generally publicly. So they, don't, they do it in secret with nods and winks or even by looking at behavior and coordinating it. So... In law, it's sufficient to have coordination or evidence of coordination without evidence of people having come together to form agreement. Uh, that justifies action by the government. So when you see consistent coordination, there's a presumption in certain cases that you have actually a, a conspiracy. It doesn't have to be fully laid out as people think. But there's no doubt that there has been... Uh, Correspondence. I predicted that there would be 
this we're moving into an end game of scientism and that that would be the the predicate of that would be uh, something caused by scientists itself and unfortunately those things uh, are true and the last point sorry for going on so long paul but no, the no, last no, point i'm, I'm just ab- a- grab- asking, asking penny to grab a book for me i want to show you okay it, it but details. just the last point on this I only learned recently, about two years ago, about this time, I was deciding to go over to, I was coming out of my cave, I decided to go over to Jeffrey to do a few talks because I I, I, I saw what was happening and I thought it was important to, to have my Tubman's Hapney work. And about the same time, in November uh, 2019, it's pretty interesting that uh, there was a an exhibition about Blake in London, a big exhibition, and they projected a one of his pictures onto the dome of St Paul's, which I also had actually mentioned in my book that there were strange colours appearing on St Paul's, and this was before this, so it's a strange anticipation. And what they projected onto St Paul's was uh, the Ancient of Days. Now, the Ancient of Days. Now, this is so St Paul is the if you like the head of or, or an important important part of Christianity in Britain, um, important locus. So they projected this Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is Eurizen, who his his mythological creation of your reason. So it symbolizes reason. So he's a, a bearded figure. You, you, you know the image with, with a compass looking down on, on the world. Now, most people think that that's God, but it's not God. It's what represented Satan for him. So <laughs> Satan is just before this this issue. Satan is projected onto to St. Paul's, and for me, that looking back at it, it, it was a signal that that reason had triumphed over all religious structures. They were telling you, whoever unconsciously, I'm not accusing the people that are doing that, but unconsciously, society was saying that Christ has left the building. Uh, how, <laughs> why they chose that, I, I don't know. But and I'm not going to make any conspiracy theories. I mean, uh, it, it was broadcast, projected in the area, just above where the, the Freemasons were in 1717 were established uh, with wow. a compass. I'm not making that issue. I'm saying that the issue is this focus on reason, which, which Blake identified uh, as your reason. Sorry, Paul, for going on so long. No, no, I, 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 I'm digging it. Um, a couple of questions came up. There's a book. Penny must have stepped out. It's called um, Pirates of the Sacred Spiral. Uh, it's all about research into DNA by Leonard Horowitz. And he documents all the research into DNA and research into how it is can be manipulated by electronics going all the way back to the early 1900s. And he shows how Rock, uh, Rockefeller and Carnegie were the pioneers behind all this. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because he's documenting the research into the creation of exactly what's going on right now by Carnegie and Rockefeller. And then you have Rockefeller, who founded the American Medical Association and basically witch hunted all the holistic practitioners. And that's still going on today. There's, I have several books in my library documenting uh, death to inventors of cures for cancer, um, inventors of 
free energy technologies and anything that would get in the way of their total dominance and control. So uh, I wanted to, there's a couple of other comments, but I wanted to stop right there and just say, where do, in your in your um, unfolding of all this, where do Carnegie and Rockefeller fall into this? Well, um, I, I, I think that I think there's a lot, lot of them in it. I mean, many people identify particular uh, groups, and certainly there's the same names uh, come up again and again. We can see the same names come up in uh, in relation to the funding of communism. Uh, so it's the same thing. You, you could pick out some people pick out families in Sweden. To, to me, uh, and to a large extent, uh, who's behind it is not so important as recognizing what's going on, the, the, the total process. The, the, to recognize the phenomenon uh, uh, afterwards, that, that that can be identified. But in some ways, uh, I prefer to look at the phenomenon itself. And get people to, to to test the hypothesis that this phenomenon is unfolding, and to begin to correctly identify the phenomenon. So um, all those all those figures come up in, in in the thing. All the the finance and or the systems be, be behind the United Nations, behind the various uh, international bodies that, that that we we know about. It's the same figures again and again. Uh, but uh, there's a there's a there's a number of them in it, so I wouldn't by focusing on one or two, uh, we may not appreciate the the range of forces in it. And then we have new important players that have emerged in the last few years, and then we have figures that we don't know, we don't know of. Right. So all those all those uh, endowment bodies, all those think tanks, uh, all those. Uh, uh, organizations and foreign policy etc they're all interlinked whatever way it works um through all those and uh, bilderberger etc we, we know about all those all those different davos the same figures again and again so uh and some of the key players will not be in those they will be from those networks but they will not necessarily be related to them so it, it's it's a broad base and also um associate with that because I, I i think it's quite i i think it goes back quite a bit in time. I think there has been literally a handing on of imperial power in different forms, the changes and mutates in different forms that we can go back. Remember that the same Norman families are there going back to 1066, for example. And I think some of those families as well were from the Roman Empire. So there's a lot of different uh, people and different structures. And when you mentioned about the DNA there, um, the, it's interesting that Crick and Watson were inspired by J.D. Bernal. So the the identifiers of the DNA uh, were uh, the double helix were inspired by J.D. Bernal, the great crystallographer, who wrote the world of flesh and the devil. <laughs> so, oh uh, wow! He was the great Irish crystallographer, and and it was so. I mean, it's, it's quite remarkable, and he was also. A Stalinist, a supporter of Stalin, uh, you know, uh, which alienated him from some, but not many. I mean, so the links with totalitarianism is, is there now. Now, just to make it clear, less people are. I believe that we have moved into a totalitarian regime. The fact that people don't want to recognize it yet or don't see the full extent of it 
uh, doesn't mean that it's not there. No, I think it's pretty obvious for anybody who's, you know, um, brave enough to see what's right in front of them. You know, the ego doesn't want to see anything that it thinks it can't control or that's going to threaten its sense of uh, being able to watch its television show at six o'clock every night and have its cookies and its beer and its wine and, you know, the whole story. Red and circuses, yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, those are the people running off to uh, get the jab and think it's all cool. And, you know, for example, my brother (laughs) did that after I'd sent him plenty of information to educate my whole family. Uh, I'm, I'm sitting here in, in, in daily shock that my mother, her husband, two of my sisters and my brother, in fact, of my whole family, only my son and my niece have, and her son have avoided the, the danger of what's obvious to me and talking to these people in my own family is, is like talking to a wall. In fact, they criticize me of being a conspiracy theorist and stuff like that i'm like have you guys paid any attention to what i've been doing for 37 years i mean people come to me from all over the world in dire straits and i've spent my entire life investigating the strangest things and and the seen the damage of the medical system over and over and over and over and i've helped many of them through crisis situations but you know when somebody's um brainwashed they can't see what's right in front of them unfortunately and the media is a very very powerful tool for brainwashing people as you know um so you know i'm face to face with all this my point is i can see it you can see it and the people that are awake can see what's fairly obvious and that's part of the reason of the of this podcast is to help people get some more history and some more understanding so that they actually have some things to work with to begin to think critically you can't you can't really come to a conclusion about something if you only look at one side of the equation that just means that you're you know you're you're a a one-eyed man pretending you have two eyes and you can't tell where your blind spots are um the the other thing i wanted to ask you you spoke about the saint i forgot his name was it saint peter yeah the one that you said held the compass the bearded man Oh yeah, so 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 that's a that's a reference to uh, what he called Eurizen. Okay, so the uh, Eurizen was what he created to represent your reason. So people assume people assume that uh, it's God. It's it's a representation of God in the Michelangelo way. He could for some people he could represent Saint Peter certainly. Yeah. Okay, so the 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 thing that came to my mind there, but I didn't want to interrupt your flow was. That immediately triggered off a feeling of Araman in Rudolf Steiner's philosophy. Are you familiar with the Araman? Yes, I am indeed. Yes, yeah. How does that correlate? It correlates exactly with what uh, some of these people have said before. Steiner argued uh, that what we were going to have was science becoming the Aramanic force. He identified that in, 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 particularly in his book about St. Michael, I remember that, but he identified the Aramanic force as representing the force of materialism, as you know, and that science w- uh, would be that. So the figure that he identifies would have been represented in this figure for Blake. And in, in many respects, Steiner articulates what Blake did 
in the you know a hundred years beforehand, it's the same figure. It's the it's the material force. It's narrow focus. It can only see what it sees in front of it. Um, and it's a psychic force because in the picture, if one looks at it closely, the world is created. It's, he's talking about, Blake was talking about a, a force in our psyche because he didn't believe there were gods out there. He believed we projected them as, as the thing was projected on the St. Paul's. So he believed, for example, that that force could be projected onto God. So we see God in the same way, for example, if reason was allowed to dominate. So uh, Steiner believed the same thing that reason would would become the powerful force and it had to be balanced or otherwise it would destroy us. And Jung, as you know, uh, believed the same thing. Yes, and many have. Uh, and I have another question, but there's a comment that I wanted to bring up. One of the things with reason is reason is very tied to being rational and being logic, being logical. Um you know, if some if you say, "What's the reason you did that to someone?" and they give you an illogical answer, in our our culture, you then think that they've lost their mind, or they're or they're stupid, or they're smoking too much pot, or <clears throat> something. You know, but the one of the things that Jung talks about, and Steiner, and and many others, even um, uh, oh, I'm brain farting, uh, Cor- Henry Corbin. <clears throat> and 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 others <clears throat> excuse me was um that the importance of realizing that the rational has to be balanced by the unrational and we, our our western scientific materialist industrialist mindset has completely excluded the unrational and we have all these business moguls writing books and have been for a long, long time saying things like, you can't have emotion involved. You, it'll cloud your thinking and your rational abilities. So we've, we've kind of come through a hundred plus years of having the emotional, unrational feeling state completely stamped out in favor of that which we can weigh, measure, or statistically analyze or predict but most of life is is unrational love is unrational how people behave is unrational people's beliefs in um uh what you call um superstition is unrational i mean the list of unrational is very long I wanted to share this for anyone watching on <clears throat> video because <clears throat> this is a powerful book. This, 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 I'm sure, uh, isn't far from being burned like uh, Dr. Mercola's book. It's called DNA Pirates of the Sacred Spiral by Leonard Horowitz. It's a fascinating book that documents. I know the light's bouncing off of that. So, mm, that's grand, yeah. That's a pretty potent book, and it shows you that what's going on right now has been being worked on for quite a long time with very advanced technology kept secret, and and that what people think they know about what's going on is a drop in the bucket compared to what's been going on since the early 1900s and possibly even earlier than that. <clears throat> but my my point on the rational and the unrational is that 
you know, we're rationalizing the destruction of nature. We've rationalized the use of dangerous chemicals, herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, rodenticides. We've got over 68,000 dangerous chemicals in our food supply. We use the water supply to get rid of dangerous chemicals like fluoride. We, we rationalize what we've got to do for money. We, we've rationalized ourselves right into killing the ocean, killing the soil, poisoning the sky. We've rationalized ourselves right into uh, medical science, and, and we've rationalized ourselves into vaccinations that don't work and have a very bad track record. We've rationalized ourselves into a dysfunctional education system, a dysfunctional banking system. We've rationalized ourselves into the belief that we have to have nuclear weapons to defend ourselves and that we need this big, powerful military industrial complex. And now we're rationalizing ourselves into fear of extraterrestrial beings, which is being promoted by the military industrial complex to support their next big game. So the point that I'm driving at is. What's the cost, in your opinion, of excluding half of the function of the psyche? Well, uh, Blake explained in his uh, in a number of his works, but in particular the Four Zoas. Now, a lot of Blake's po poetry was was forgotten about until the Irish poet William Yeats worked with a guy called Ellis in London in the eighteen nineties for four years to put together the poetry. And he also wrote about the significance because he was a magician and he understood what, what, what Blake was talking about. Now, Blake has two very important things which, are, which help us understand the mystic journey and help us as a way of, of solving or ex explaining society. So he said that there was four elements and basically in the human psyche, he, he suggests or in his mythology that he created there is a, a united being which kind of splits and separates and, and comes into earth, if you like. And he, he's actually representing our psychic composition. So the first figure, and he puts them in north, south, east, and west with different qualities, as uh, you'd be familiar with uh, and you are, are familiar with. But So that figure, Urizen or Urizen, represents that rational function. Now, again, he sees ratio, which is the basis of rational, rational as the key as the key concept and then there's a figure which represents uh, the heart emotions love and affection and a figure which represents sensation and the kind of erotic element uh if you you know the the the, the guts the loins whatever uh and ratio of course would represent the, the brain the logical bit and then he has imagination and imagination was represented by uh, figures that he, he identified as um, Yurtona was the name. It doesn't matter if people get confused with that. But the, so he had those four qualities. And his argument was that your reason, it's a bit like your four structure with the king and the child, and the wise man. Your reason in, in many ways is, is the, the king figure. And that kills, it will kill or take over from emotions and it will take over from uh, the instincts and sensations. And the only force that can oppose it is imagination, because imagination is, is the strongest force. But it can, it, it, it can, the other two can get paralyzed, and imagination is the only hope. But, but given the proper circumstances, your reason can take over and oust that as well, because it is a single focus, Reason, of course, uh, is, is, a, is a tool. 
it, it's, it's blind in many senses. It can only see where, where its instruments bring it. That's why it was shown in the image. Uh, and uh, th there, was, there was this constant battle. So, so that's, that goes on in our psyche and it goes on in, in society. So reason was the destructive force if it gets out of balance. Uh, and that, that's the thing that he emphasized again and again and again. And what an accurate anticipation of our modern society. Uh, he understood that it would destroy nature, it would destroy human nature. And as well as that, just one point to... to, to the other thing that he, he had, or his idea, was a fourfold vision, which I'll just, just mention briefly. He said there's four types of vision. The first one is just what we see, ordinary, ordinary perception of the world outside. And this is called single vision. It's the basis of reason. It's the basis of empiricism. It's the basis of science. And he identifies this single vision on its own with the satanic impulse. So he's, he, that's what he believes Satanism is. It's that focus on the material world. So therefore, it's very like the Aramanic description that Steiner takes on. A, sec a second level of vision is where you open your mind up to a fantasy, where it can imagine things. So he talks with flowers and things. They, they talk back. So it, it's kind of it, it's fantasy. Uh, and the next level was he gave different names. He gave a Hebrew name to, the, to, to this level is, is Beulah. And Beulah is a level which would be uh, that's associated with an area before heaven. It, 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 it's an area where opposites are reconciled. There are no opposites. There are no duality at that stage. So that would be consistent with a high, you know, a mystical st uh, state where you're moving up out of reason, moving past fantasy, and actually you begin to see that that duality is illusory. That the, the you know the good and evil are are not the same things. And and there's he says, as you have often said, there's no progression without contraries. And then the highest state, the highest level of vision, is the eternal vision. That would be what mystics come to at certain stages where you see the eternal. So a non-dual experience. Certainly non-dual. The non-duality even happens at a third level. So because of his mystical view, he was able to see how dangerous reason is. And I think it's a very use, useful description of where we are today and what, how, what thinking process and where that has got us. Hi, everybody. You know, people from around the world are constantly asking me where they can find organic foods and supplements that are actually organic, not just some fake impersonation, which is sadly so common in the marketplace today. My most common suggestion is go to Organifi.com, that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com, where you can find a wide range of excellent nutritious products made from certified organic source materials. Organifi has superfood drinks that actually taste great, <laughs> unlike most, immune support products, excellent high-quality protein powders, digestive support, joint support, liver support, green juice, hormonal support, and menstrual ease nutrition formulated by a team of female herbologists for women and more. My family and I and a significant number of my clients and friends and students from around the world use and love Organifi products because they're nutritious, taste great, and unlike many products, you actually get what you pay for. Hallelujah! I love Organifi's high values and high quality products and they're excellent for athletes, children, and the whole family. There's no better investment than investing in your own health and well-being. And when it comes to investing in my health and the health of my family, I go to Organifi. 
If that's not enough to make you want to explore all the amazing products waiting for you at Organifi, I'd love to sweeten the deal for you by offering you a special Living 4D with Paul Check discount of 20% on any of Organifi's excellent certified organic, super clean, nutritious products by using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20 on checkout. That's CHECK20, all caps, on checkout. I hope you enjoy Organifi as much as my family and I do. My other question that I wanted to ask is is a, is a probably not too hard to answer for you. But my question is, how do you think it is that these guys were able to predict so accurately what's happening right now well before they had too many physical indicators on the table? Well, remember that Blake said that he saw the face of God at the window when he was four and uh, his mother stopped his father from beating him. (laughs) From the age he was 10, he saw angels and trees. Um, He was familiar with this Swedenborgianism because Swedenborg had been in London and he went to the first meeting of the Swedenborgian church. He didn't stay in it because he wasn't in favor of priesthoods, but he, he, he could see spirits all around. So he was in touch with higher elements. So, Swedenborg said that the last judgment had happened in 1757. He said that the last judgment is not what you think it is in the future. It had actually happened in 1757. This is what Swedenborg's view was. And that happened to be the year that that Blake was born. So to some extent, Blake, I think, believed himself to be a prophet, which he was a prophet. He, He could see things and he had the ability. So he saw, remember at that time, there was a lot of struggle there was a lot of anti-Catholicism. There was the Gordon riots in London. The French Revolution was going on. And as well as that, people were going around London with red hats. Trump, non-Trump at that time. Ah, Dubai, you know, yeah. same, same old story. They know how this is the same old story. It's unbelievable. And there was various groups, for example, like the Muggletonians in the church. And you have Muggles in, in Harry Potter. It's ridiculous recurrence. But anyway, uh, it, it was a very dynamic time. There was a lot of conspiracies. He was... He was put on trial for sedition, for throwing a soldier out of his garden. You know, people say, oh, he was an anxious man. He was put on, he was put on trial in 1804 for sedition, which theoretically could be a death penalty, but the jury didn't, didn't find him guilty. So people say, oh, well, he was, he was paranoid. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's not a bad start. He was arrested when he was out drawing as a spy one time. This, this was a, so what was paranoid? They say he was mad, but the society was mad. It was a paranoid, where, where, because most of conspiracies are either manufactured by government or perceived by you know, to exist when they when they don't exist by by. But he saw it. He had. He, I, I believe, he was a prophet in the way that uh, prophets exist, uh, have existed, that can foretell the future. Uh, and I believe that he, he he didn't believe that he would be able to in that milieu solve anything because it was such a chaotic form that in his work. He was shown the direction of society in a couple of hundred years, and he was an, he was accurately anticipating uh, what was going to happen. So I believe that the the messages are there in, in his logic. It's difficult. It's very. It's not easy laid out, and that may have been deliberate because if he's referring to some of the figures at the time, uh, well, he might have got banned at that stage or cancelled. Or yeah. Uh, and Steiner was very prophetic as well on many levels, as you know. I mean, and and 
you know, I don't think anybody that studied Steiner would doubt that this guy was way more tapped in than most human beings <laughs> will be in a thousand lifetimes. Um, I mean, all you got to do, I, I always say by their fruits, ye shall know them. I mean, when you look exactly. at what Steiner left behind, it, you have to be an idiot to think that somebody that well endowed with practical wisdom that's touched the lives of countless millions of people and does so to this very day would not be worth listening to across the board. You know, like I study a lot of Steiner and it admittedly what I have a, a repulsion to is all the Christian tone in it because he was part of the white brotherhood. But when I look past the Christian elements and look at it more deeply, then I can digest it. Uh, just on that point um, about the notion of Christ, uh, I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I have my objection to Christianity is about the institutions, not about the doctrines. It's about the misuse of of the uh, the doctrines for other purposes. You know that that. Uh, Generally, the misuse and abuse of of, of the Christian terms. Um, Blake was didn't go to school, which helped, which helps a lot. He didn't go to school. He was glad he didn't go to school. So his main education was reading the Bible. So a lot of his his uh, education was sitting at home reading. So he was very very well informed on that. But Swedenborg had come before him, and Swedenborg, the main contribution that he had from his mystical experience was that you should never interpret the Bible literally and that there's all these different levels. And once you interpret those different levels, you won't come, you know, you won't go wrong. And Blake would have understood the same. So for Blake, he was very, very clear that uh, God and Christ is imagination. Imagination is Christ and God. Uh, and that any gods that exist are all in our own breast, as he said. So they're projections. So when he meant imagination, he meant our spiritual consciousness that was activated. So we all have it, uh, and but it has to be activated. And he also believed that creation wasn't, you know, we, we according to the stories and the myths, the creation myths, they start and they end back sometime in the past. But he seemed to have believed that creation didn't happen until you developed yourself, until you evolved. And that was that was the creation as well. So, But he, he identified Christ as uh, the imagination, spiritual consciousness, which Jung seems to have, have goals. His individuation uh, concept is seen by many as a continuation of the true tradition of Christianity, unadulterated by the institutions uh, who misappropriated it and edited out uh, some of the, the other more in, interesting aspects of the Gospels, the Gospel of Thomas, etc., which which are consistent with other uh, spiritual traditions. Yeah, I, I personally, to me, all the religions are all just different ways of perceiving and engaging life, and. I don't necessarily think that there's right or wrong. I think it's like food. You either, you're either attracted to it or you're not. It works for you or it doesn't. And you and I both know from being around the planet long enough and studying enough and, and growing ourselves that 
certain things that are attractive to you when you're, you know, in your 20s or 30s, all of a sudden don't give you the freedom that you need. So you start expanding your awareness, you grow, and then you find elements of Buddhism attractive or elements of Sufism attractive. And you go from being a kid raised in a very staunch religious attitude where everything else is the work of the devil to finding beauty in all of them and putting them together and even transcending the need to have a book. And, you know, Rumi said, no man can get to God until he becomes a heretic. And, and you know, naturally what he's saying is you can't find God reading uh, letters printed on a piece of paper. You have to have the experience of God, the experience of transcendence. Otherwise, you're just really just a, a, a cut and paste machine for somebody else's ideas and you believe them as fact, which is extremely dangerous to do. And then if you don't grow up, then the pain teacher will just come, you know, give you an ass kicking over and over again until you finally get to the point where you realize whatever God that is that you're worshiping isn't helping you create a life that is in harmony with reality. And so I think often for a lot of us, it's the pain of realizing that there's something illogical or contradictory or uh, disturbing. You know, I did a, a great podcast with a Christian minister named Ryan Meeks. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to that, but it's phenomenal. And he was the pastor of a, a Christian megachurch. He had, I don't know, 14,000 members and, you know, a multi-million dollar organization, but he began to be haunted by the fact that there was so much in the Bible that was just self-contradictory and and didn't make sense from a scientific perspective and didn't make sense from his own sense of morality. And he was actually brave enough to go to his father who trained him from the time he was a child to be a Christian minister and explain to him that he was leaving the church and shutting his church down and that he could no longer speak because the pain of his own inner voice was so strong that he felt he was misleading people by teaching them these Orthodox Christian teachings. So he went off and spent uh, time healing and, and took some shamanic healing ceremonies and got deeper into himself. And the plant medicines opened him up to a much greater reality that was much more nourishing to him and helped him then interpret not only Christianity, but all the religions from that place of authentic experience of the divine as opposed to an intellectual experience. And now he's a counselor for people to help them through this kind of crisis. So it's, it's a phenomenal story of, of how we all have a soul inside of us, and it knows when our growth is being stifled by ideas or by other people, and it begins to create what I would call an important type of discomfort in us that triggers us to imagine something other and and then go find it. And I, I think that's just a, a really critical thing for us all to pay attention to, because when you ignore that call from the soul, you find your life getting suffocating and you find your, your sense of happiness diminishing and your relationships start breaking down and the sun isn't so bright and the whole world starts to get gray. And I think uh, that's a I really believe that's a lot of why people are so passive because they've just 
they've they've gone far enough down this rabbit hole of not listening to their own inner voice and being so directed by authority that they don't trust God within. And so they're always outwardly directed. And I, I, I really, I call that externalizing the self. But when you externalize the self, you have to have external reference to validate whatever it is that you think is real, but you're ignoring what's even more real. And that's, what's looking through your eyes and having the experience. And, and that is a, I think that's part of the crisis we're going through. And, and just one connection there. Um, see, I, I, it was either Blake or I was reading about Blake and they were talking about, or someone was talking about how, for example, Noah and the flood, you could use it to interpret when the senses are over, are, are, are inundated with things it can't handle. So we have to look at, there are actual metaphorical levels of meaning that are useful in the sense of, if you think of all the information that we get, you have to, in a way, put yourself in an arc and escape from it or be prepared for it in different different senses. So what Blake was against as part of the your reason, uh, that, that approach and the rational approach was literalism. And he saw the Bible as an expression of the poetic genius of those people that came up with it. So that's what it was, and that was only their way of saying it. So he was never a, a literalist in that sense, and he could understand the metaphorical meaning and escape, the same as Swedenborg, so uh, about the, the creation and seven days related to the chakras and other you know things that people don't think. So I'm, 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 I, I, the idea that we can find a literal literal truth in all the all those uh, works is crazy and i find it very ironic when we have a literal scientific mind debating about the meaning of life with a literal religious mind they're the same people those those people that literally interpret the bible in a very narrow way are the exact same people as richard dawkins so the problem is between a a, a, a literal interpretation and a poetic interpretation. That's exactly what Norbert uh, Weiner wrote about in, in his book on, on God and Golem. He said that these gadget worshippers worshippers are literalists. And this is the same mentality that you have in black magic. You have a, a, a curse or, or you know something specific. You have to say the words exactly. You have to do the it's 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 a way of seeing the world, it's a mentality, which is also associated with the managerial elites that want to control people. This you know, is probably why they're good at developing these governance systems. They believe and they, they're good at developing things because they're obsessive in certain ways. A certain part of their mind wants to control and wants predictability. It doesn't want an unpredictable world, and it doesn't want you to be unpredictable. And the most unpredictable things are people. So it's not going to tolerate that Dionysian element. It's going to seek that other... Apollonian element. Well, that that just goes hand in hand with all the very very solid evidence that what people are calling uh, uh you know a vaccine or whatever you want to call it is actually a tracking device. And I've looked into this exquisitely, and I even saw a video released by a Russian hacker. I don't know if I shared that with you, but he actually tapped into the Russian government's. A database and and looked up one of his friends and could literally see the guy's heartbeat and his biorhythms and <laughs> was monitored. So so my point is you see their precision is to control everything, 
and to use this to sell you stuff so that you have to take this or you got to take this shot or you got you know it's basically they're turning you into a um you know a, a commodity is what is was ha- a controllable commodity um one of the things that came up I don't know if you've ever seen or read this book but it's extremely good it's called Bible as Dream by Murray Stein who's a famous union professor uh in Yeah in, I've certainly I know I've come across Murray Stein I don't I, yeah yeah, well, the book's fantastic because he basically shows you if you analyze the Bible as though it was a dream and you use the principles of Jungian depth psychology, it, it has a very, very profoundly different meaning. And it's actually quite rational. I mean, I don't mean rational in the negative sense. I mean, when you actually look at what the Bible looks like, if you sat down at a union analyst, a skilled union analyst's office, and said, this was my dream, and he tells you what that means, it's so damn obvious how that's playing out in the psyche of human beings and what it's doing to us. And Joseph Campbell said, whenever a person interprets the Bible as a dictation rather than a connotation, we're all in big trouble. And 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 that is the truth of almost anything in life. And the, the great irony on that, of course, is that you say you're a mystic and they laugh at you and they'll listen to all the mystics of the past that informed that poetic genius of these books. And this, this, great, this great idea, uh, particularly in Protestantism, that prophecy stopped at a certain point. And even if you, if you look at the, the movement on dispensationalism, the idea of the rapture and all this, which mainly came from an Irish clergyman uh, called uh, John Nelson Darby, they were consulting in the 1830s with certain people who were prophets, and then it stopped. So the prophets gave them the idea about what was going to happen in a, a certain time eras, but it doesn't allow for any reinterpretations, readjustments of a constant. Uh, so it's a very strange idea of prophecy. But it is a bit ironic that you have to accept as literal all the mystical experiences of a few thousand years ago, and you can't have any mystical experiences today. And the whole point that Blake and others made was you have to have the experience. Ritual is not experience. It may help in certain contexts. Ceremony may help. But the experience itself is the key. It's experiential. Uh, and religion without experience is nothing. It's programming. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, this, it's a lower order behavior. And the last point on that is that my argument about transhumanism and that is that the, what we have to fear, they're trying to pretend that you're going to be living for a thousand years when the world is ob- overpopulated or living for 300 years. or are going to in- increase everyone's uh, length of life. And people are believing that they're going to be able to get these great benefits from merging with machines. But the reality is, the objective is to turn persons into things. That's the great, to literally turn person into, into things. And the, and the danger is of network transhumanism, where they use low-level technology to link everyone up into a network so they can be controlled. That's, that's basically the great danger. And that's exactly what's going on. Um, now, to preface my next question, I'd like to dialogue with you on, I'd like to share a couple of statements from a very good book by Jonathan Bluestein, who actually sent me this as a gift in the mail recently, and I just 
made contact with him today to set up a podcast because it's actually a very good book. It's called Exceptional Ideas About Humanity. And so I'm quoting from page 66 and 67 to lay the groundwork for our next exploration here. Jonathan says, yet the science of latter centuries is often treated like a popularity contest, meaning that those in power would like to have us believe that science, like democracy, uh, ought to be accepted by a manner of consensus. So I'm sorry, I, I made a typo there. So he's, he's basically saying, meaning that Science wants us to believe that, like democracy, it ought to be accepted as a manner of consensus. We shouldn't resist science. We should just accept that it's always correct. The notion of science making, uh, the notion of making science into something which appears more democratic or consensus based rather than being a neutral assessment does not represent its natural form. Rather, it is an attempt to sway people from rely on science to a belief in scientism, a type of religion. How did we arrive at a religion called scientism from something which was but a mere method of researching reality and investigating things? An explanation is due. So I think that's a very important comment. So I've written here, James, I agree with Jonathan Bullman's, uh, Bluestein's assessment here. I'd love to hear your conception of how we have transformed science from a tool of investigating reality to a religion of distorting reality to feed the greed of a handful of people on this planet at the expense of billions of others, not to mention the planet itself. I'd love to talk about what we can expect moving forward. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what experts, wise men, and intuitive forecasters like Steiner, Jung, and others predicted would occur and is occurring now, and what some of the root causes of worshiping of science that is often not even science, the worshiping of gadgets, machines, AI, etc. could lead to. I feel this is important to look at so people can explore the issues from the roots up, get more educated as to what to be aware of and how to better manage their use of technology moving forward with the intention of creating what we need collectively. How long uh, do we have to respond before the jail cell is complete? And we are, for the most part, put in a prison or past the point of no return. And what is the mystical analysis of our prediction or our predicament um, and the way according to those great teachers? Now, I know that was a lot. We've already talked a lot about the roots. You've given us the history of it. You've talked about the religion. You've talked about the scientific mindset. But, you know, this this quote by Jonathan Bluestein about science going from a tool of investigating to a religion is very much what you have highlighted in your introduction. What comments do you have based on that? Right. Well, just just think for a second about where we are now. I see that your president uh, is talking about building back better. I think I saw. Uh, yeah. I think I saw Boris Johnson, the other genius uh, in in Britain, going around with a "Build Back Better" T-shirt. Now, remember as well, it's very, very interesting that uh, the time Bush was going up with Kerry for the election in America, they were both ex-members of the Skull and Bones, for example, which is quite interesting. They're both from the same club, the same as uh, Boris Johnson and David Cameron were, were, were in the same club 
uh, at, at Eton University as, as well in the Bullingdon Club. So, I mean, it's a tweedledum, tweedledee. If anyone doesn't understand by now that it's punch and duty, even with Trump and Biden, uh, remember as well for the Trump supporters that Trump said that uh, the vaccine would be administered by the army. When he was in power, I, I saw him saying that to his crowd and uh, they're doing the same thing. The, the, the script is there, whether you you know you can believe that it's, it's, it's independent and that one of these will save you if you want to, but really this duality is a false duality in, in, in most Western systems. Yeah, it's, it's a smoke and mirrors show. Yeah. So where we are now is that uh, they, they keep on saying build back better, and we know where that comes from, the World Economic Forum. The thing you want to ask yourself is, what are they building back better, and why do they have to build back better? The reason why they will have to build back is they're going to destroy it. We're in the phase of the breakdown civilization. Now, the Irish mystic A.E. Russell said uh, 100 years ago, he said the Romans were great builders. They built fantastic things that lasted for ages. But you have to remember they were first great destroyers. They destroyed everything that was there beforehand. So to a certain extent, Western civilization is a continuation of the Greco-Roman empires. And this building back better is predicated on the idea of destroying what is there. Uh, we are made dependent on things. Uh, it's going to be destroyed. The financial system is, is, is going to be destroyed. The economic system is going to be destroyed. The distribution supply chain systems are going to be destroyed. I mean, it's pretty clear. This, this, this is not necessarily what happened. The overextension, remember the Tao Te Ching? What you want to destroy, you first expand. Expand. <laughs> The idea of welfare capitalism, Richard Rorty, who used, he used to be uh, the philosopher, he used to be a Trotskyist, and, and he wrote an essay, Trotsky and the Wild Orchids, where he explained he, he didn't think that Trotskyism was going to work anymore, but they'd invest their energy in welfare capitalism. What was welfare capitalism? Welfare capitalism is where you give so much money to everybody that the system can't afford it and it collapses, and then you can have your alternative system. And that's what's happening. That's why they're, they're calling everybody to give them the hotel masses and they're bringing them in and promising them uh, free health care when working people are not able to afford it in the United States. And there's Trump's $2 trillion stimulus package right there. A whole lot of them. That's right. And then, that's why they're... People get all excited about it. I go, are you stupid? Who do you think's paying for that? Yeah. You th you yeah. think Trump gave you anything? Do you think any of these guys, you think any of Bill and Melinda Gates or any of these philanthropic foundations are giving away anything? This is all a very dangerous game of deception. And ultimately, these are the only people in the world that don't pay any taxes at all. Who's paying for all these vaccinations? You are. Who's paying for all the deaths and the injuries? You are. Who's the one that suffers when you can't work anymore? You do. This is, I mean, the fact that people can't see what is so obvious to you and I and people that are awake, it, it's, it's, I would say sad, but I would say it's scary because when you have that many people in a state of hypnosis, you have the kind of movement that Hitler got going. You have the kind of shit that starts world wars and Steiner predicted. Steiner said, right in his writings, which I have right in my library, he predicted that there would be a third world war 
and that the United States would become the next big third world country and either India or China would become the next superpower, he said most people in the United States would find it easier to commit suicide than to live the way they have to live due to the ramifications of that war. And now here we are. We're in a third world war, but it's being fought invisibly and electronically using brainwashing and media and science, which is not even science. And the 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 infrastructure of not only the United States, but many countries is being dismantled right before our very eyes, like you've just alluded to. Yeah. So so uh and then they're getting people to call for the dismantling of the police while you have the cartels lining up on the border to come in and take over. Because when you don't have any police, unfortunately, uh, which have any authority from the state, you will get someone to, to, to rule you. Um, and if you look even at the issue of liability, um, during the Reagan era, they removed liability. They petitioned for removal of liability for child uh, vaccines. And it's been consistent around the world, coordination of removing of liability for any damage caused. Now, you have to remember that even if you look at normal behavior, if you look at the, the situation with the, uh, I think it was a Corvair, that the unsafe at any speed that Ralph, Ralph Nader uh, wrote a book about when, the, when he realized that the car executives understood that they have had a model which was unsafe and they calculated that they would still, even if they paid out money, for, for responsibility and negligence cases or, or, or unlawful death, they would still make enough profit to justify and they go ahead. This is the mentality that we're dealing with. Because we're Another word I use to describe the people who are coming to power or the system, as well as Scientocracy, is a psychopathocracy. It's a psychopathocracy. The people who come to the head of these organizations are often psychopathic, that they, that, that, that they don't have those issues of, of feelings. They don't have... They don't concern themselves with damage to humans. And not only that, but we're, people are busy creating hatred for other humans. They say they, they create hatred on the basis of skin color, religion, and even the environmental movements ha, uh, have become, uh, have developed a certain hatred, uh, a misanthropy, a misanthropic attitude towards humans, which is very, very dangerous. And associated with that is a dehumanizing, a depersonalizing effect. And every time you do that, you create the conditions for genocide, unfortunately. Now, your guests will probably all have gone turned off by now, Paul. I doubt it. You know, I think people <laughs> that listen to my podcast are genuine explorers. Yeah. I Yeah. So I don't want to be don't want to be too miserable, but but the first well, we thing. We want to be factual and honest to the best we can. I mean, yeah. look, right now. If we don't tell the truth as we know it, then we're part of the disease. And I'm not here to say that I'm right or that you're right, but I am here to say these are the things that we need to put on the table or we are censoring and we are monocropping and we are killing the psyche. We're killing the dynamics of mind. We're killing our capacity to make decisions. And I tell my students all the time exactly what I said at the end of my video, Why Kings Kill Your Children. Don't believe a word I said, but look at all the resources I've laid out for you and make up your own mind. But until you look, you don't have the ability to make an informed decision. So I look at my podcast as a vehicle for concepts, ideas, and viewpoints to help trigger us 
and inspire us to say, well, is this James Tunney guy crazy? Or let me go read some of the books. And is Paul crazy? Well, I might be, but you'll never know until you take the time and the energy to look into it. Because while you're sitting around with your thumb up your ass, the people that are behind this are not. Speaking of psychopaths, I've seen a few documentaries now featuring George Soros in there. Now, if if you need to get a clear view of what a billionaire psychopath looks like, there it is. That's just shocking. Yeah, and people as well forget about the Asian tiger economies. If they ever call your economy a tiger economy, get worried because tigers are, are, are going extinct everywhere and they, yeah. they did that successfully in Ireland, the Celtic Tiger. I couldn't understand that. It was a big, a big uh, air castle, castle in the air, uh, a lot of nonsense. Anyway, but to answer the question you asked me about, about where does, uh, you, were, you were talking about where this came from and one particular trend or how we came to this ideology of scientism uh, it began in, uh, with Darwinism. Now, not necessarily Darwin himself, but the people around him, and in particular the person who coined the term Darwinism, which was uh, Thomas Huxley and the Huxley family. So what he did was he set up a club called the X Club. And this was a group of scientists uh, in 1863, I think it was. And their job was to infiltrate the organizations, like, like as you would do, Trotskyism or any of those, to entryism. Uh, to, uh, so it was the scientists that developed this, to infiltrate the bodies, uh, to uh, present a scientific view which was not spiritual. So they began a process of taking the, uh, not just religion, but taking the spirit out of discourse. That was the reason why the psychic researchers um, began to use the term psychic forces in the 1870s because they weren't allowed to use any idea of spiritual forces. So psych psychology was really a response to a very restricted, narrow view. So even the idea of psychology is located in a deliberate shift away from the idea that we are spiritual beings. So this is, this is a consistent policy of dispiriting. Now, people say about racism, about the idea... For, for example, I'm, you're told now that you're automatically or you automatically have been racist because of your skin color, despite the fact that Irish people have been treated as inferior beings for hundreds of years, despite the fact that uh, Irish people at the time of Darwin and his friends were, were related to primates because the idea of scientific racism is where it all comes from. Was, there was a hierarchy, a false hierarchy, which put certain groups together. So racism was developed by this, by, by science in particular, by people like Huxley, who made mistakes. What was happening was they were moving the empire into an empire or preparing to move scientism as, as the controlling doctrine of the, uh, of the classes that want to control people. So they began to use science, uh, scientism, excuse me, as an ideology that could unite people that could unite different groups and that could attain goals, attain forces. And that use of science or misuse of science continues today. It continues in relation to the modeling, for example, in relation to coronavirus that came and the models which came from Imperial College. Imperial <laughs> College. How funny you know, is that? You know, it, it's ridiculous. Models that have been disproven uh, that goody epidemiologists were, uh, for example, in Sweden, anticipated more correctly, that anticipated from experience, some of the old guys as well, 
that uh, how this thing should work. So if anyone thinks that that's proper science, uh, you, you, only a cursory examination of the statistics indicates how uh, uh, there's a lack of robustness about the assumptions that are that are made. And also, not only is there a lack of robustness, there's distortion, there's, there, there's deliberate creation of, of false material. So what has happened is that this ideology uh, or this religion, it is becoming a religion. There is being created a, a religion of science. But I, I think ideology is, is a more appropriate description uh, at this stage because being ideology, it has all the fundamentalism of someone like Richard Dawkins, uh, Dawkins. it fits into all the the the, the uh, ideology uh, ideology that we had in the Nazis, that we had in in, in in Stalinism. It's the worst or religious fundamentalism. All those fundamentalisms are bad when they get into power. Now they have power because technology is very important, and the idea of technocracy of using technology to control people is crucial. And that last last point. The technotronic movement that was manifested from the 30s onwards in, in the United States, which um, Zhirbinsky was used as a model for the future uh, in conjunction with China, the idea that you would shift to measurement of energy sources and you would abolish other things and you would meter an economy based on energy. And that's why there has been a destruction of the energy companies, the energy system. That's part of the deal of a technotronic society, that they believe that the, the measurement of energy is the crucial basis of such a society. Yeah, it's interesting, too. I've got a, a quote in one of my books by Steiner from 1925 describing that there will be vaccines coming in the future that are specifically designed to disable your connection to the soul and turn you into a materialist and keep you oriented toward the material world. And he specifically stated that vaccines would be produced to do this in 1925. He made that statement. Yeah, it's quite incredible. I, I, I read that, uh, I look back at some of his lectures again, and he was clear that this materialism would come to first the mindset uh, and it's more than that you're being turned into a machine so this is seen to be good it's seen to be a, a noble goal by the transhumanist movement it's encouraged by the post-humanist movement there are elements of the post-humanist movement this is a very strong movement that's not really been opposed and people are People are contributing towards it. An important point in the famous essay in the 16th century, uh, Discourse on Voluntary Servitude, uh, by Etienne de la Botte in, in France. Uh, he wrote it uh, in the 1570s, his various dates for it. But he said that it was incredible that so few people could come to power, that could, they could assume power, they could take power. It was amazing throughout history how people were so passive that they would become slaves in their passivity and that they would be won over with trinkets. They would be won over with, with games and sports. And it was so easy to take them and he couldn't figure it out. He said there would always be some people that would resist it. And if you look at the uh, history of the conquest of Mexico, for example, um, and, and some of the great descriptions from the time, uh, translating the, or, or the trans, uh, I've read some of the documents and, 
in Spanish. It is unbelievable that a few hundred conquistadores could overthrow the Aztec Empire. It's quite incredible. It's an unbelievable story. And if you follow Prescott's book, following this group, a motley crew of soldiers, of poor soldiers from Estremadura in, in Spain, uh, being led by a former law student at the University of law, Salamanca after they scuppered their boats and move in and take over one of the biggest empires uh, that existed on, on the continent that was a very highly developed uh, empire and lead directly to, to the death of tens of thousands and later millions, a handful of people. You don't need many. Uh, and the failure to oppose them, and particularly because of the superstitions uh, Montezuma and the people around him, the priests who interpreted what was happening in certain ways and misinterpreted, they didn't resist, although they had all the all the powers to do, as, uh, apart from the few technical advantages the, the Spaniards had. It's quite incredible. You don't need big numbers. No, it's shocking. Hi, you guys. I know you all know that super green powders are good for you if they're made from organic sources and they're processed properly so the nutrients are there. And that's exactly what Paleo Valley does with their super greens powder. So I brought Autumn Smith in to tell us exactly how she created it and why and what it's going to do for you when you try their amazing organic super greens powder. Autumn, what is the magic you've got here? Well, like you said, we all need to get more of those micronutrients that you find in fresh fruits and vegetables. And so we've created a powder that you do not have to choke down. It has an absolutely delicious berry lemonade flavor. And the reason that it's different is because A, it is all organic, 23 organic superfood ingredients. And B, it is a very, very gut-friendly product because what I've found in my practice is that a lot of people don't do well with cereal grasses. And we know cereal grasses, like wheatgrass, can contain lectins that can be hard on the guts of a lot of people I work with. And so what we did was we created a a cereal grass-free alternative. We use high quality, the cleanest, highest quality spirulina on the market, raised in India. And then we added the 22 other organic fresh fruits and vegetables, and the flavor will surprise you. So all you have to do to check it out is go ahead to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K-15, at checkout. My son drinks it every day. We call it his ninja juice, and I sincerely hope your family loves it as much as ours does. All right, everybody, go paleo green and get rocking. Hope you love it. James, thank you so much for, for giving us the history. You're helping round out my own knowledge and it, it puts things into more perspective. And one of the things that's come up for me again with you is that this has been planned and coming down the pipe for a long time. And as I've mentioned on podcasts before, if you study the history of empires and you study the history of kings and queens, they've been up to this shit for as long as there's been written material. You go all the way back to the Sumerian tablets and you see wars between rival factions and gods and, you know, destruction. This is not new. It's the, the, the whole point of this discussion from, from my perspective, for those of you listening, is that how many times do you have to see a, rep a repeated pattern before you say, okay, we got to stop this? 
And then the analogy I give my patients in therapy is I say, okay, look, if I'm a body man that works in an auto body repair shop, I know you guys call them fender beaters or something like that. And a woman brings her Porsche Carrera into me and will say she's in a, on a, an American country and the right front fenders caved in and I fixed the fender. And then two weeks later, she brings her cor- Porsche Carrera back and the right front fenders bashed in. And then two weeks later, she brings it in the right front fenders bashed in. Well, me being a knowledgeable man about mechanics and driving, at what point do you look at that car and say, I'm just curious, are you very good at parallel parking? (laughs) And the woman looks at me and says, why did you ask that? Because most people bash their right front fender in when they're trying to parallel park and they don't know how to do it. And she giggles and laughs and she says, you're not going to believe it. My daughter just turned 16. And I'm letting her drive my car and she's crashed it three times parallel parking. And so then I say to her, you know, you've now spent $4,500 on fenders. Have you thought about putting her into a $350 driver's education class? Oh, yeah. you know, I never even thought of that. Yeah. So my point is, how many fenders are we going to bash before we go to driving school and realize that we're all in the driver's seat and being unconscious is not only expensive, it can get you killed. And talking about prevention, how ironic is it that the Catholic church and and, and the Pope is going on about getting injections when they won't let you wear a condom? Right. And, and how ironic is it that they've, (laughs) I, I recently saw a video and the white house says right on the white house website that the staff is exempt. When you see who is exempt from these injections, it's all the people involved in this whole strategy. Now, if that doesn't just make you sit right up in your chair and go, something's very wrong here. If we've got a worldwide viral pandemic, then everybody should get injected if that's a legitimate treatment. But it isn't. And it never has been. And and I tell people I'm not against vaccines at all. All you got to do is bring me one that's less dangerous than what you're vaccinating for and I'll use it. (laughs) So far, it's never happened. Yeah. (laughs) You know? So, James, what do you feel the ramifications of technology as an uprooting force, pulling us away from our awareness and connection to nature, what I refer to as the self, are for us today? In other words, how does technology threaten nature and the nature of the person? Well, the analysis, uh, the simplest way that I can explain it is that what we have, if we, if we take life on the earth as the biosphere, uh, including the ethnosphere, being the diversity of cultures of people, that's been opposed now by a technosphere or the technium uh, or the novocene, whatever we want to call it, the collection or totality of technology. And in this context, we can go back to the work of people like Jacques Ellul in the Technological Society, and he explained what was happening with technology. Uh, in some ways, as an almost neutral force, uh, he didn't. Uh, we don't have to have the conspiracy in order to identify that what's going to happen. What happens with technology is, if you think about in production terms, uh, technology and machines drive out the organic. It doesn't like the organic so it drives out the organic out of systems and he was quite clear that technology would lead to totalitarianism and that idea was taken in other forms by people like gunter anders 
who in the obsolescence of man, who explained how technology would make humankind uh, obsolete. So what is happening is the technosphere is growing uh, at the expense of the biosphere, directly at the expense, and all the solutions or the supposed solutions that are going to come from technology to help us with environmental issues are not going to help us. They're going to further destroy the, uh, the environment. And in fact, there may be a policy to destroy the, uh, the environment. If you look at John C. Lilly, he anticipated a scenario where we would live under glass domes and that we would be run by a solid state entity. And here we are this year, they're saying, oh, we're going to make the glass dome, domes in preparation for obviously the breakaway civilization going to Mars. But it, it, it's more plausible that they're preparing for the, uh, with the glass domes for the, the, the captive population that will be left because the atmosphere will be destroyed. It will be destroyed because they know they're destroying it. During this pandemic, they put up thousands of satellites uh, they 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 had more ex space exploration things when they're getting ready to escape from the, the mess they've left. They have no intention of saving the planet. The scientific anticipations of what are going to happen vary wildly. Uh, one, when I'm looking back at painting, for example, I get some clues when I'm con contemplating the, the art that I'm looking at. Looking back at Rembrandt's self-portraits, you can see that he was very cold. It was cold because it was a little ice age in Europe, which is very, it occurs every few hundred years when the, when you have ex, uh, the volcanoes in Iceland go, goes off and it blocks out the sun so that the Swedish army could cross the Baltic, etc. That, that's going to happen again sometimes at the stage when we're getting rid of all our fireplaces because they have one model uh, that's going to, they say is going to work. It could be cold, that is the problem. It could be that we're freezing rather than overheating. They don't know about a lot of these things. We have this climate change that goes up and down, but they don't have resilient models. Then we have people like Bill Gates who wants to interfere and by sticking things up into the atmosphere. Uh, we know that the nuclear weapons testing has, uh, has, has created a lot of problems in, in the atmosphere. And all this is part of this mentality of, 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 sci of the scientist of the technocrat of interventionism the idea oh i can make this technical intervention and it will solve things it's part of the mindset it goes on the focus of ratio rationale uh, idea so what they're not good at is understanding complex systems and understanding natural systems and this was even anticipated by blake if you read his poem about urizen he, he talks about them building a tent over them to protect themselves from the universe because they can't, this reasonable character, rational character, doesn't like uncertainty. It doesn't like natural forms. It doesn't like the Tao. So it will seek to build around it. The way, in a similar way to the way magicians, as described by anthropologists, when, they, when they're dealing with uncertainty, they ritualize their behavior. When they're going to see and you can't control anything by magic, they do some rituals, believing that that will, will work. So uh, we have the same thing, again, with Gates wanting to put stuff in the atmosphere to reflect chalk. And, wanted to do and aluminum. Chalk. He's putting aluminum up there. For God's sakes, if you look at what aluminum does to the immune system, it poisons the body, shuts your immune system down. I mean, we're all breathing aluminum and chalk dust. And th this is like, you know, part of the problem is these guys are 
what I would call series thinkers. But nature and life is a parallel process with trillions, if not infinite, numbers of input. To think that you can use a series process to control a parallel process means that you're so smart, you're dangerously stupid. I mean, I have a training in advanced electronics. I used to wear we- repair weapon systems on Krogo helicopters. I had to go to electronics school for a year, and it was intense. And if I was to approach a Cobra helicopter the way these guys are approaching the environment, I would have probably been put in jail for ruining $11 million helicopters. So when I come from the background that I do and I see how these guys go about solving problems, I mean, if people had enough knowledge to see what, what what's going on, they would be up in arms and going, what in the hell are you doing? It would be like somebody watering your garden with gasoline because gasoline's cheap or cheaper than water. So, oh, look, let's just use gasoline instead of water. I'm like, do you understand anything at all about what you're doing? Because you're about to ruin the garden and the soil probably indefinitely. So putting aluminum and chalk dust in the air is like watering your garden with fucking gasoline. It's just outright stupid, period. And I will debate Bill Gates on all of this shit and his model of bio, uh, biotech farming anytime, anywhere, even if I have to crawl on my hands and knees to get there. And all these, all these systems that, that and younger people as well believe is going to solve the problem, like uh, the d- digital currencies, Ethereum, etc. They're huge consumers of energy and even... Even involved in those systems, you see already that they have an energy cost built into the system, and this is part that was part of the original technotronic idea. So you can. So what's happening is they're going to create a simulated economy, like a great big computer game, which is digital and which you you, you will interact with. But it, it won't be any real economy. It will follow the model that people like Stafford Beer, the cybernetician, uh, was thinking about implementing in places like Chile during the Allende uh, era. So they believe now that they can do an economy stroke or 2.0 where it's all run digitally and then they can manipulate it accordingly, centrally. And this is what China is experimenting with. So that creates huge costs as well for the earth, although they think they'll, they'll tell you all about the savings and the benefits. They won't tell you about the cost. And a lot of this technology is requiring mining and the mining is happening in sensitive areas and will destroy more of the environment because they don't care about uh, about those consequences. Instead of having a a system which is based on basic common sense or indigenous philosophy, you say, okay, let's have clean water. Let's respect the earth. Just take that issue. Let's let's keep our water clean. Uh, simply, if you follow that th- those principles, if you didn't regard these things as externalities with no costs, uh, well, then we would be solving some of these issues. But that's not going to happen because the technosphere has to grow. It's not going to. There's no other model of growth. It's all based on more and more technology. And everybody, we're all contributing towards towards that. While there are some benefits. We have no problem, you know, people with a mobile phones, as Elon Musk is saying, you know, you're a cyborg with your mobile phone. It's only a question of degree. Now they're saying, well, 
you know you're a cyborg you're going to be upgraded you don't mind being upgraded why should you be uh, you know mind being upgraded so you get into a, a vortex a vicious circle there has to be a balance there has to be some identification or respect for us as persons that are meant to and adapted to live in this environment the great irony is scientists have spent so long telling us that we've evolved only to adapt to this environment and having got that message across the first thing they do is spend all their resources trying to change that environment it doesn't make any sense it's totally inconsistent so if they were aware of that trajectory and it was true in the way that they tell us well then they should be should have been leading the way to stop impacts on the environment on which which is necessary for our evolution but part of the idea now after darwinism is that they're going to control the evolution of, of humanity which turns it into something else because controlled evolution is not evolution it's a different no it's now a different you're now game. you're a lab rat. artificial selection yeah artificial selection it's what the british ruling class have been doing if you look at the interest of the british ruling class it's the families that fit in this in the system it's breeding horses breeding dogs breeding animal breeding is important artificial selection and that mentality now is being developed to apply to a, to, to to a new generation and all these was, things mean yeah yeah i was going to say that was hitler's whole drive the aryan race the perfect humans i mean this this kind of shit is crazy and again how many times do we have to go through this before people wake up and say guess what that didn't work the last five times you know osho says something profound i'll share at this point he says the only such the only thing that's a sin is doing something twice when you're sure it didn't work the first time well what do you do when you've done it 10 12 15 times now we know you're you've got a problem and you need psychological help and and i think you know really honestly the world culture needs psychological help and one of the things that they need help to realize is that the people that they've entrusted with their money and their power and their decision making processes do not have their best interest at heart and and you know you mentioned all the satellites going up these satellites are not only going to be beaming 5G they're now going to 6G these the 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 speed and the power that they need to control robotic cars and robotic machines is intensely powerful. And I would like to let everybody listening know that there's a book they all need to read or listen to because it will blow your mind when you see how much we've known about the dangers of electronic technologies. And this book can be gotten on Audible, and it's excellent. It's very well read. It's a big book. It's, it's a lot to read, but it's fantastic to listen to. And when you read this book in connection with what's going on in the world electronically, it'll shock the piss out of you. The book's called The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Thurstenberg. It is a phenomenal piece of investigative work. And it documents this from the very beginning of our playing with electricity all the way back in the you know, Benjamin Franklin days using static electricity, rubbing glass tubes and balls, and shows you what happened to people from exposing themselves even to static electricity and DC electricity, then what happened with AC electricity, then what happened with the telegraph and scientists that did research. 
and I, you know, my urge is to start talking about it. But let me tell you, when you go through that book, and not only that, they talk about the connection between the death of the bees and the putting up of massive towers. They talk about influenza and how that was directly connected to solar flare activity and how it broke out every time they put up big towers or activated new huge uh, amplified radio sending and receiving stations. Influenza started breaking out like crazy. So they're showing us that the human body is extremely electronically fragile and that what we're doing has not only uh, been going on for a long time, but it's getting worse and worse and worse. And many people today are completely and utterly blind to the fact that a lot of the illnesses that they're dealing with are from the routers in their house, from the electromagnetic pollution coming off of a devices, from radio stations, from telephone wires, from microwave ovens. I mean, when you start getting into this thing, you know, my job as a therapist is to figure out what's causing people's problems. So I spent my entire career researching this stuff. And when people actually just have the basic understanding of what electricity does to biological systems and human beings, which is extremely well laid out in The Invisible Rainbow by Arthur Thurstenberg, it will shift their view of what's going on right now in the world radically and probably wake them up. And many of them will start becoming activists for safe technologies, which we need right now. Um, that was a couple of comments. but. Uh, my next question exploration for you is, and before I next ask the next question, I'd like to preface it with some potent comments by Carl Jung from his powerful book, which I have read thoroughly, called Modern Man in Search of Soul. And I've cut a chunk out here that I think is potent and relevant to our conversation. Human passion falls within the sphere of, sphere of conscious experience, while the subject of vision lies beyond it. Through our feelings, we experience the known, but our intuition points to things which are unknown and hidden, that, by their very nature, are secret. If they ever became conscious, they are intentionally kept back and concealed, for which reasons they have been regarded from the earliest times as mysterious, uncanny, and deceptive. They are hidden from the scrutiny of man. He also hides himself from them out of, now this is a technical term, dice-e-da-monia. So dice-e-da-monia means fear of gods or superstition. So I'll say that again. They are hidden from the scrutiny of man. He also hides himself from them out of dice-e-da-monia, fear of gods or superstition. He protects himself with the shield of science and the armor of reason. His enlightenment is born of fear. In the daytime, he believes in an ordered cosmos, and he tries to maintain his faith against the fear of chaos that besets him at night. What if we were living... What if we were... Excuse me, what if we were some living force whose sphere of action lies beyond our world of the everyday? Are there human needs that are dangerous and unavoidable? Is there something more powerful than electrons? We 
delude ourselves into thinking that we possess command over, excuse me, do we delude ourselves into thinking that we possess command over our own souls? And is that which science calls the psyche not merely a question mark arbitrarily confined to the skull, but rather a door that opens upon the human world from a world beyond, now and again allowing strange, unseizable potencies that act upon man and remove him as if upon the wings of the night from the level of common humanity so that to that of a more personal vocation. So just to reiterate what he's saying there, he's saying that there's very powerful forces in the soul or the psyche that a man's mind or ego has a very hard time dealing with because to engage the soul means you have to engage chaos, darkness, and the unknown, and that even when we have intuitions of these forces, we bury them in our chest and we relegate them to rationality or science as a compensation and that the soul is a door opening to something more vast and more powerful than we can rationally manage or control so james with that preface from jung and you can see he's you know talking about this in probably 1960 um there are some real dangers to shielding ourselves from a deeper, potentially far deeper reality than the frailty of human expectation can handle by the use of science and rationality or its mere image, which the Daidi demonia, the fear of gods and superstition. Are we going too fast by falling too deeply into AI and transhumanism? Or do you feel we're now in a confrontation with the forces that have been regarded from the earliest times as mysterious, uncanny, and deceptive, and that we must all be prepared to deal with in regard to the chaos that we are now unleashing upon ourselves and the world? Is that too convoluted of a question? No, not at all. No, I'm with you, yeah. Um, The way I I see it is that, as, as you know well, Jung understood what the imaginal meant and that's a reference back to henry corban and it goes back to frederick myers uh, originally so the imaginal referring to the idea of the say the insect turning into a, a butterfly uh, refers to the the wider context and in particular it refers to the imagination which is not just imaginary and it refers to the totality of the interior domain uh, and, and the interior consciousness, uh, which for Blake is everything. And sometimes we see an inner and an outer space. I think that's a mistake. I tend to see it in terms of a figure eight, an infinity sy- symbol, whereby the point of attention is the point where they cross. And I can move inwards or outwards. If we can get out of a body, we can take it out. Or when we die, the, the figure will come out of the body, but it will still be there. It's a movement of, 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 uh, energy. So I call that domain the animosphere. It's, it's a word I use to describe the, the imaginal. Um, but the problem with the animosphere is that it's it's a huge space internally. And it's like on the old maps where they had the edge of the world and they said, here be dragons. There are dragons there. These are the forces, the internal forces, the creative forces, the forces uh, of spirits, of angels and demons. 
they're they're all there and they're there because they we inherit in the collective unconscious uh, in ourselves in our dna in the morphogenic field that we access we inherit these patterns if you look at great magicians like william butler yeats they believed that there was a great memory which was accessible by symbols but when you're accessing the great memory of course there's going to be all kinds of things you didn't expect all kinds of forces so as you know when jung went inside himself and did his his exercises he uh, was on the verge of madness in a way he 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 knew it's very very it's a kind of dangerous uh, deep dive that one does and one uh, it's difficult it's not without challenge and we have it in the all the mystical traditions the, the phases associated with the dark night of the soul and they don't go away a person doesn't reach a stage whereby they don't have demons or, or, or elements this is because they have explored the uh, area internally but it, it is a bit ironic that anytime i make points about where the world is going uh, usually people who disagree say oh you're afraid you're anxious now i'm not anxious at all i, I have i have seen these i've looked these things in the eye a while ago they, these are things coming through that i have understood so i'm i'm very it's very clear uh, for me in, in many senses and i'm certainly not afraid of it and i'm not afraid in particular because i believe in higher consciousness and i believe in the survival of consciousness so it has no fear to me as blake was asked on his death about uh, was he afraid of death he said no it's just moving from one room into another that's all and and he was looking forward to it there's no there's no big deal but a lot of these transhumanists are afraid. They're the ones that are afraid and they project onto other people. They're afraid of death. They're afraid of uncertainty. They're afraid of unpredictability. So that's what Blake talked about, your reason having to cover himself from the heavens because they don't like it. They don't like the, the chaos. So there's a great irony in the people who, who talk about other people being afraid are terrified of nature and they have been terrified of nature. And there's also... Uh, there is also some deeper i wouldn't uh, use it in terms of man and woman i'd prefer to use the anima and animus because now for example with the uh, rebalancing of of relations between men and women uh, it seems that women are becoming more animus driven they're becoming more like the men and more materialistic so the the benefit that should accrue from that is not going to accrue because they're they're being more uh, animus-driven than, than the males in many sense and, and not using the power because uh, that, that's part of, of the idea. There is a, 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 a definitely something associated with the, the death of the, the goddess, the killing of the goddess, which is associated with the earth, the mother earth. Uh, and that, that we can trace that movement as well back to the creation of the great metropolis in London of the mother city whereby there is a creation in institutions of what hitherto was a natural force. And we can see it directly with Queen Elizabeth I, where she becomes a, a goddess and she's translated into a goddess. And they began to slay the notions of the former nat natural goddesses there, nature goddess like Bridget, who was Saint Bride, which goes back to a pagan goddess. And there's something about this destruction of the anima of the feminine aspect of us the genuine feminine aspect of us and of that conception in uh. and i was going to say margaret thatcher is a very good case of a woman who's clearly what jung would have classified as an animus project uh, a possession 
uh, you know, a, a woman, uh, a, a man, a warrior with breasts, um, you know, just for people listening that may not be schooled in Jungian psychology, when you referred to as the animus before in what you were talking about your approach there, um, you're talking about the animating force. Most people listening to that might think you're talking about something that's part animal or something. And the anima is the feminine nature within all males. The animus is the masculine nature within all females. So when James is referring to women becoming too oriented to their animus, it means that there are they're not actually engaged in their natural nurturing and womanly functions where they hold the family together, tend to the earth. They're more like businessmen that are willing to engage in warfare or whatever it takes to dominate, just like the typical patriarchal uh, concept. And and for those of you that want a very good book, which is on audio, or you can read it, that very beautifully and scholarly, uh, uh, with with great scholarly effort, shows the transition from the matriarchal uh, era into the patriarchal era. It's called When God Was a Woman by Merlin Stone. And when you go through that book, you will be shocked and appalled at what happened to women and how Christianity has just been brutal to women and destructive in, in, and how they just wiped out and how long this has been going on, wiping out temples, wiping out, you know, nature and and just this Levite-driven priesthood was just ruthless and murderous. And when I went through that book, I was just like, this is exactly what's going on today. Nothing's changed. It's just like Groundhog Day. And part of the problem, James, and I think you'd agree, is that we we actually have such an uneducated populace that people don't see the patterns because they don't have any education. They, their education has not taught them about history. It hasn't, ta- it's, it hasn't taught them about the history of religion and the dark forces acting through religion. You know, there's the old saying, the devil's favorite place to hide is in the church. And the more you study it, the more you realize how dangerous these large organizations are and have been throughout history. And so, you know, I've got a ninth grade education. I educated myself, but it shocks me as I travel the world and lecture and talk to people that have advanced university degrees that don't seem to really understand the most important things that you should learn in an education. And I'm making damn sure my kids don't get trapped in that. Hi, everybody. I'm sure you've heard me talk about Dr. Quiet many times if you're listening to the podcast at all. And you've probably also heard me say that there's nothing more restorative than sleep. It is our most powerful anabolic agent, tissue restorative, mind restorative, and it's free. There's lots of reasons why some people can't get to sleep at night, such as electromagnetic pollution from routers, phones, and most any electrical device, or even power lines that are near your home. Consuming too much carbohydrate relative to fat and protein for your unique needs before bedtime also causes sleep disturbance. 
The consumption of stimulants and foods or drinks such as coffee and tea will stop you from sleeping well. The consumption of alcohol, which rapidly causes hyperglycemia followed by hypoglycemia and then elevates cortisol levels and inhibits melatonin, is another major blocker from restorative sleep. But one common reason is a lack of magnesium, the right kind of magnesium in the right amount. If you are magnesium deficient, then there's no better supplement than Bioptimizer's Magnesium Breakthrough. It contains all seven essential forms of magnesium and no synthetic additives or preservatives. For the entire month of November, Bioptimizers are having a Black Friday, Cyber Monday blowout sale on their best-selling Magnesium Breakthrough. Get up to 25% off every order and get access to over $200 in free gifts, including books and more of their best products to sample. You can only get this exclusive deal through my link, so if you're ready to feel better, sleep better, and get your mind back to work for you instead of against you, go to magnesiumbreakthrough.com forward slash living 4D. That's living, L-I-V-I-N-G, number four, little d. And on checkout, use the code living, number four, little d, to get your discount and your free gifts today. I use Bioptimizer's products because they've worked for me and everyone I know and everyone that uses them tells me they love them and I'm very confident they will work for you. Enjoy Magnesium Breakthrough and sleeping better. I just want to say, while I'm criticizing institutions, religious institutions, I don't want it substituted by uh, a Marxist, Trotskyite, or any other ideological institution as well. That's just an alternative of the uh, an alternative ideology, including scientism. I'm against all the non-pragmatic uh, practices that become totalizing ideologies, whatever it is, whatever, uh, including scientism. And um, when you're talking about, there's one point I want to make about women. When I came over to Sweden first people who had never been to, because Sweden prides itself as it is and very uh, in relation to liberation of women and, and many uh, contexts, uh, it's, it's proud of that. But they, they they were telling me about the way Ireland was uh, and about Irish women, and most of them hadn't been to, to, to Ireland, and I didn't recognize them. They were painting them as very weak women, and that's not what has been the case uh, in Ireland. Ireland had... Uh, a very strong, a culture of very strong women involvement in all the uh, major political movements. First woman elected to the British Parliament, engaging in all the revolutions, including me, women of my own family. Um, and they, they were very active and they were very strong. There has been a very strong movement to disempower women by making them victims. Now, I'm not talking about, uh, I'm not talking about all the bad things that happened against women. I'm talking about a generalized sense uh, which which paints women as weak in this thing, which is, which is not part of the issue uh, or not part of the context. But there has been an attack on the strong feminine, on the strong feminine and nature and the strong animation of the earth because, uh, well, the word animal is related to the same source as soul and breath, as you know, but also that other idea of animism and the animation of the earth, that it's a living being, going back to the animus mundi, the, the spirit of the world. It's a strong, important concept that helped protect the earth, that, that, that protected it as a living being, often seen as, uh, as feminine and mother earth. 
And that had, that had to be attacked for the scientific revolution to prosper. Yeah, because otherwise people would have too much feeling. Yeah, that's In right. In other words, the, wor mont the world would not be an object. It would be a living being. It would be our mother. Exactly. And so if you if you want to kill your mother, you got to figure out how to make someone believe she's really bad. <laughs> that's right. Or she's an object to, to move from, from that thing in, into uh, an object. of a, And that was necessary for the Industrial Revolution, for the damage when... When uh, and, and that was why Blake talked about the dark satanic mills, although there was mills near him that burned down. But the dark satanic mills referred to that mechan mechanistic idea, which he saw in the Industrial Revolution, creating massive prostitution in London, massive destruction of the environment of England's green and pleasant land, pollution of the waters. Uh, and, and movement away from this, the sacredness. So he, he witnessed that context as well, and he saw how, how damaging that was. And th that comes from part of that idea of, uh, as the scientific revolution, people like Bacon said, of torturing na nature for his secrets. And it was, a, it was a deliberate. And we see that in the Enlightenment in particular. Um, people forget that the Marquis de Sade was a leading Enlightenment figure who talked and gave eulogies at some of the uh, big funerals of the the leaders of reason, for example. Now, there's a funny there's a funny connection that these people that argue for reason often end up with something very strange, like de Sade, Marquis de Sade did, and Christopher Booker, who who wrote the Seven Basic Plots, explaining how most literature has seven basic plots and looking at a vast amount of literature, said that during the Enlightenment, the plot, the historical and mythical plot story changed, that Marquis de Sade, as a figure of the Enlightenment, brought in this idea yeah, in Justine of torturing the feminine and, and, and punishing and, and using instruments. And that was representative in many ways of the scientific view. And it continues to today, so that there's a, there is a a deep connection between this idea of reason and instrumentality and the attack on the feminine. They go together, and the attack on the human person in general. The idea that that you use instruments to command the people, and that's of course behind the war machine, which employs a lot of scientists, and they seem to be able to distance themselves very well and disassociate themselves from that very well. Yeah. Now, before we go on to the next question, I'm going to make a statement, which I've made many times on the podcast, because, you know, I talk critically of religion and I've had many people write to me or say to me in person, it sounds like you're very against religion. And I said, no, I'm not against religion at all. I'm against the manipulation and abuse of religion against people. I'm all for real religion. The word itself means to link back, to connect to. It means the same thing as yoga does. So the practice of religion means to connect back to source, to that which we are all an expression of. And that is the practice that helps you come into gratitude, reverence, and worship for all things in life. That's why I love the first principle of Sufism, which says there is no God but God. I worship everything and everyone. That is religion. It doesn't say we kill you if you're of a different religious orientation. It doesn't say you're not going to get to heaven if you're not a Christian. It doesn't say that if you don't pay this much money, you're going to burn in hell. Anytime you have religion being used as a tool to co-opt human finances 
energy, resources, behaviors, you are not dealing with religion. You're dealing with something disguised as religion. I have spent years and years and years studying world religion, and anybody that doubts that is welcome to come to my library, and I will unveil hundreds of books and hundreds of pages of notes, thousands of pages of notes, to show you a documentation of my study of all the world's religions and many offshoot religions, because I found a long time ago, if you did not understand the belief system that a person had, you were very unlikely to ever get the things that you needed to help them heal to bring about long-term cures of chronic diseases and ailments like cancer, chronic fatigue syndrome, and any number of things from digestive disorders to personality disorders, you name it, the list is very long. I had to study because all belief systems are what drive behaviors and choices. First, you have a belief, then you have a choice, then you have a behavior, and then you have an outcome. So our medical system and our way of dealing with people's challenges is at the level of the behavior, but you're not looking at the belief. That was, that would be like going back to the Porsche Carrera analogy and saying it's all, we need a better fender. <laughs> we need one that's so hard you can't dent it. Screw about learning how to drive. Let's just crash into everybody and make our cars out of, you know, some kind of super steel that never breaks. Well, that's completely overlooking the problem. So, just to set the record straight for about the 50th time on the podcast. Just one point on that. Um, Blake said about Jesus, and, and, and this is important. People forget that Jesus was antinomian. Now, antinomian means when you go against the law and the, and the principle that's there already and the convention. He was a they heretic. forget that Jesus was creating a break with the existing m law of Moses and Judaism and, and saying deliberately, that love God and love your neighbor. And it was moving away from the Pharisees and the scribes that had got over-legalistic. And people forget that. And uh, therefore, Blake said, uh, a quite incredible statement, he said, Jesus was impulse, which is quite remarkable. And what he meant was, Jesus was the impulse of compassion, as far as I can oh, see. So therefore, right. Yeah, so therefore, when Blake, for example, saw in London a boy with hobbles with you know wooden things on his legs like 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 an animal uh he would run out and you know and, and stop it or he saw a man hitting a woman he was a very strong man although he's small and and he he usually came out well if he if he intervened in the situation but so he had a very robust nature or idea of compassion so it wasn't about the rules and it wasn't about distance and not and, and uh not getting involved in, in in things so that's consistent and another point that i want to say about institutions and a lot of people are not willing to to, to listen to this argument but and I, i'm not saying all these arguments are true but just think about the issue if you look at people a controversial figure like father malachi martin he argued that there was an element in the Catholic Church of Satanism and the satanic masses had taken place and there was like some kind of takeover. Now, he worked in the Vatican. He's, he's an interesting, a very interesting, highly educated uh, Jesuit scholar that, that was involved in translation of Dead Sea Scrolls and that. Um, and there's uh, there has been examples. There's books written about, for example, the Marxist kind of takeover of the Swedish church in the 60s. Uh, people can believe what they wanted. They can look at the sources. 
institutions are capable of being taken over. And f for example, uh, now the Irish president is a nice man. I'm not saying anything wrong against him, but there's a picture in the paper, I think it was last week, of him in Rome. So there's a picture of him at Gramsci's grave. Uh, now Gramsci, of course, his prison diaries was who, who was the one that realized that you had to destroy the Catholic Church in order to bring in a kind of Marxist uh, gl a global regime, that the Catholic Church was an opposition. So, and therefore that you had to fight culture and the culture, uh, culture wars, and therefore you had to infiltrate these organizations in order to take them over. And there's certainly people that believe they're infiltrated. But I'm looking at a picture of the Irish president at Gramsci's grave, and then he visits the Pope, and the Pope says he's a very wise man of today. And I'm, I'm, I'm asking myself, are you trying to signal something to us here? You know, I mean, because this is the way the world works. And um, the problem with all these, all these bodies is they can be taken over and they can be utilized to achieve purposes that are totally inconsistent with what their members believe or what was originally founded to do so. And that has been a strategy. It's a strategy. And I don't, I don't just say that about the, whoever it is, Trotsky. It's a, I knew Trotskyites, and they're very, they're very uh, focused people, and they believe in what, they, uh, what they're about. Um, but it's the same thing as Huxley and his scientism in the 1860s. I would say to young people, because I, I talk to people different, all different persuasions, Young people that believe they're going to make a brave new world in these organizations that they, they can't, under, they, they have no control over who controls the top of them, will find that they are serving the forces that are exactly inimicable to their cause. And this happens in all organizations, that the idea of organizations, uh, they can be taken over. And uh, as well as that, you see in books like The Man Who Was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton, where this guy uh, as, as uh, joins an anarchist, as a policeman joins an anarchist cell. You know, they're all named after a day of the week. And I think there was only one of them that wasn't a, a, a police member, an undercover agent. And this happens oh as well. God. You don't know, and there's, lo there's loads of evidence of coming out in court cases. When you're involved with organizations, you have to be very, very careful, which is another reason in favor of individuals taking responsibility for their own lives and not outsourcing their sovereignty or their religious experience, their spiritual experience, their mystical experience, their mystical evolution to anybody else. The same principle applies, whatever, economics, finance. You can't, you have to be very, very, very careful about that. Yes, I agree. And, and I think, you know what I what I want to do right now is just interject something, because a lot of people, especially if they're young by now in this conversation, can just say, "Well, we're fucked." No matter what direction we go, I mean, these guys have got us wiped up out out of the electronic issue. We've got the criminals, the crooks, the church, the businessmen. <laughs> you know, where do yeah. I go? I mean, well, I just got to bury myself in a hole, but. You know, and I understand that, but this is the crisis we're in, and the reality of it is, is we've got to work together. And and here is my solution: we all must have a common dream. We must have a common mythological guiding structure. 
And the one thing that we all have in common, we need good food. We have to have clean, healthy soil. We have to have clean water. We have to have healthy air to breathe. And we have to use clean sources of energy or none of those other things are possible. And we've got to put the reins on these large corporations that keep destroying the planet in the name of science and for profit. There is nobody, I don't care what camp you're in, I don't care what religion you're in, I don't care what company you work for, I don't care if you're a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer, I don't care if you're pro-military industrial complex. At the end of the day, we all have to have the dream board, the game board, the planet is the stage which all of our dramas are acted out on. And you can't live without food that's healthy, soil that's healthy. Without healthy plants and healthy animals, you can't be healthy. Without clean water, you can't be healthy. Without clean air to breathe, you can't be healthy. So if anything we're doing, no matter how much money you're making off of it, is de- is degradating or degenerating or eroding the infrastructure of life itself, it is leading to an impasse that we are dangerously close to crossing. And that's what the Hopi prophecy warns clearly about. We are anywhere from seconds to 20 years at best, in my estimation, before we collapse the environmental systems. And then If they haven't gotten out of here on their rockets, they're going to starve to death too. It's all, in other words, there's nobody that's going to escape the consequences for not caring for the planet that we all need and caring for each other. And I believe that with intelligent use of organic and biodynamic farming and intelligent use of technologies, the planet can handle plenty more people than it has if we do it intelligently. And that's my call to action. I say, don't worry about the politics, worry about the planet. And anything that gets in the way of keeping the planet healthy is already an established political nightmare that we've got to address. If it's a technological threat to nature, if it's a political threat to nature, no matter what it is, if we don't get back into harmony with nature damn quick and get rid of the companies or transform the companies that are destroying the resources that we all depend upon, None of this conversation matters or any conversation because we are going to have some kind of a very painful closure to the human story. And I I have to be honest. I studied my whole life and I've worked in these fields. I was raised on a farm. I've been a hunter. I've lived in the woods. I know how nature works. We cannot ignore that reality. And that will lead right to my next question. In regard to what we've just discussed, I love to hear your thoughts on Ray Kurzweil and others who hold the concept of uploading one's soul to a hard drive or a cloud only to be reinstated in another body of some genetically manufactured type or transhuman type or even a robot. What role does transhumanism and posthumanism play in the issues? And what is your conception of this personally? what I think to be a very confused idea of the human soul. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'll come back to you. I want to come back to you after on the uh, on before we finish about the soil and and the the ground of being, if you like, literally. Uh, Kurzweil, in his argument about the singularity and that, they make an argument to the effect that technological development and the growth of artificial intelligence to the detriment of human intelligence is an inevitability and that it can't be opposed and it's done on an exponential basis which is inherent in the nature of the technology. Uh, well, firstly, that that's based on assumptions that are, are not true. For example, in 1996, there was a information technology agreement, a set of rules, if you like, for global trade in computers. They had 400 items on a schedule. And what they decided internationally was that there would be zero tariffs on those goods uh, in 1996. The result of that, you can imagine, is factories disappeared immediately to places like Vietnam and all that and moved around and changed the entire industry. Again, agreed at a global level, beyond national level, profound effects. And those things had an impact on the price of, of computers and on the great on the growth of on the rate of growth. And Kurzweil ignores all these things and kind of implies that there is some magic in his graph that shows that you can't stop. It's unstoppable growth. He uses that to explain that human intelligence is inevitably going to be inferior, therefore, to this uh, mechanical intelligence. Now, this intelligence that he's talking about is the epitome of that ratio that we talked about. It's the ratiocination. It's the calculation. It's a very, very narrow view. It's, it's your reason uh, on steroids. And what they do, it's like that film Misery. I think the main character was a Paul as well. Remember that f film Misery, uh, based on a Stephen King story, whereby the guy crashes his car and he's, he wakes up in bed and there's a woman looking after him. Uh, he's a writer. But th there was a key point in the, in the, he was getting better and the woman was quite attached to him. So as, as far as I remember, she broke his feet so he wouldn't be able to escape. Right, yes. <laughs> and, I think and, I did see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the idea of, is a bit like the idea of Procrustes in Greek legend, who, remember, he had, I think it was between Athens and Eleusis, where they had the Eleusinian minis or mysteries. He had a kind of a hotel, and if you went in there, he would fit you into the bed. So if you were too long, he'd cut your legs off, or he'd stretch you out to fit you in. So that's the Procrustean bed idea. Now, what this idea behind the singularity and artificial intelligence says is that if we construct the idea of human consciousness and we reduce it merely to an idea of calculation, well, then we create the Procrustean bed and then we can, we can compare it to other intelligence. So it cuts, out, it cuts out all the interesting bits about human intelligence, all the mystical bits all the bits that are non-quantifiable. -quantif uh, it ignores all the qualities in favor of a few. It turns us into digital realities, zeros and ones. It turns us into statistics, into algorithms. It's sick. Yeah, you become a, you become a quantified self. So uh, the point is that the, the, what that is, that, that's the next part of the dispiriting thing. Uh, now, he talks about spiritual machines, but it doesn't make any sense uh, from my perspective. It's, it's not spiritual in any meaningful sense. So 
what they're doing in, uh, as well as moving on from the dispiriting is to take away all the other elements that are not mechanistic. So in the end, they will say there is one function of intelligence. And by the way, you're very low compared with these machines. And at the same time, you have the evolution of conscious agency theory, which I don't like. I can understand why they use it. But the danger of conscious agency theory is you say this thing is conscious. Now, a, a computer could be conscious under certain criteria. So it's a conscious agent. And then it identifies humans as mere conscious agents. So you're nothing special. So we take away any inherent dignity you have coming from your nature, your, your distinctive nature as a person who is a reflection of divine consciousness, whatever way you want to put it, a reflection of the greatest intelligence in the universe. And Hoffman says that human consciousness is not fundamental, but consciousness is fundamental in, in, in the universe. He makes a distinction between human consciousness and other consciousness. So when he's saying that consciousness is fundamental, he's not talking about human consciousness, which is very, very dangerous, which is distinct from the mystical approach that says consciousness is fundamental and we are it, you are that. That's the, that's the basic, as we know, the Atman-Brahman uh, theory. So uh, this uh, idea of transhumanism, I think it's a spurious movement of distraction. It could the logic of it that they were going to extend the life of people through enhancement is a con. They they appropriate to themselves every medical uh, benefit which comes from the evolution of medicine and not from transhumanist philosophy. The idea of getting a pacemaker, for example, that makes it transhumanism is, is false, and they they sell an idea of enhancement. Uh, which is uh, very, very attractive. So by adding something me mechanical, uh, you, will, you, you will get something to you. But really, it will be a subtra subtraction. The, the add-ons they, they, they suggest uh, don't add up. Uh, we, and they take out of the equation all the qualities that are distinctive about the human, and particularly the spiritual qualities. It, it's a Procrustean bed. And the problem is that a lot of people are afraid to engage with scientists, especially when they use graphs and figures. Maybe, you know, uh, I find maths boring and all that, but if it's necessary, I will look at the rele relevant statistics. They, they make jumps. They make, it, it's, I heard my, my daughters uh, at a summer cabin reading from uh, the Phantom Toll booth, and it was very, very interesting, about this place called Digitopol, uh, the children's book, this place called Digitopolis, which was run by the Mathemagician. It's a clever concept, the Mathemagician, yeah. And they, the, math, the problem with the Digitopolis was they didn't understand rhyme nor reason, and they didn't have rhyme nor reason. That's one of the notes I just wrote down. It's a brilliant, uh, actually, description. I hear them reading it, and I was thinking about these subjects. And it personified better than I could have the simple the simple problem. So you have these, for example, uh, Donald Hoffman says that you know all the you don't have to go into all the mystical theories and all that because we can prove by mathematics that you know you don't see reality as it is, and the mathematics explains. But he, he, he's failing semantically to understand that his mathematics is only a model of reality in any event. It doesn't prove anything, and it still has to prove to something. In all these cases. We need the subject as observer in order to identify it. And all these mathematics don't exist. They, they can be applied, but they don't exist 
without the human having brought them into being. And they failed to, they failed to see that. They, they believe that they have sprung from, from nowhere. So, so the problem, the, the real danger of, of Kurzweil's theories, now I'm not picking him out because there's loads of them. Well, I'm there's lots of them. He's just the most popular, so most people would understand by, by using that name. But, but the danger is that transhum- we're acculturated to transhumanism. It's projected as good uh, and progressive, and therefore it won't be objectionable when they tell us that they're actually inserting something into our body to upgrade us, to enhance us, or that they have they have actually done it because they have marketed this idea of enhancement to help us evolve. And anyone that doesn't doesn't take it is unevolved. One last point: it's very very interesting that uh, at the weekend. Tyson Fury beat uh, the the Irish. He was born in, in, I think, in Northern Ireland, but he was brought up in Britain. They used to call them Irish travellers uh, or, or gypsies until, well, after he won the world heavyweight champion, he became a British traveller because they'll they'll take they'll take them in there. But it's a bit funny that this guy uh, who comes from a marginalised community who didn't whose family wouldn't have engaged in all the normal processes, you know, at certain stages, his father didn't, are producing these fine, healthy, intelligent men. <laughs> You know, you know, the six foot ten. You, know, you understand that they're, they're kept outside the system to a, a large extent, and they're producing all these these big, fine, uh, intelligent men that can accomplish things and uh, achieve things and other objectives as well. It's the the point being that the conventions that we're told are fantastic for us are often destroying health. They're destroying the uh, they're destroying the things, and we're told another last point. Uh, they keep telling you, "Oh, you never had it so good. People are living so long. That's Life horseshit. is so good." And I looked, I looked back at the statistics in the area where my mother was from, and there was loads of of uh, at the time when, when when she was there in the country, and there was loads of eighty year olds, ninety year olds, a hundred year olds. There was a lot of them, and they keep trying to paint it as if it was the you know the darkest uh, place because they didn't have access to uh, science. The reality is, science didn't touch their life. Uh, they, they lived a very rural life, and they were often very, very healthy, and would have stayed at home until the end of their life. Now they're whipped off to old folks' homes and and die, and are often sick for longer. So, so a lot of these are, are big marketing things that don't actually stand test when we look back at what the historical evidence is if we take the time to do so. And many of the things that you've just discussed, I addressed in my video, Why Kings Kill Your Children, didn't I? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's right. Yeah, I, I saw that. It was, it was, it was uh, very impressive. Did you know that symbiotica means harmony? And you're really likely to enjoy my podcast with Shervin Jaffariah, the founder of Symbiotica. Symbiotic is an amazing company that makes excellent products to aid healing, enhance longevity, and improve performance at all levels of your being, from your spiritual practices to your athletic endeavors. I highly recommend you go to Symbiotica.com and check out their top-notch organically sourced products that include excellent tasting supplements like their Synergy Vitamin B12, which elevates energy naturally, to their Shilajay Minerals, which help you better regulate your hormonal system. 
Their biocharge activated coconut charcoal is an excellent detox support and removes toxins and poisons from the body quickly and non-invasively. Their organic longevity formula is one of my friends and students' favorites. They rave about it. I really enjoy their Regenesis liposomal glutathione for its amazing antioxidant powers, which is really helpful for anyone that enjoys vaporizing tobacco and herbs like I do. They also have great immune support products, water filtration options for drinking and showering, and some cool clothing and more. When you go to cymbiotika.com and use your Living 4D discount code, which is capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 15 on checkout, you get 15% off anything they sell and you won't be disappointed. Enjoy Symbiotica. Well, you've unleashed an avalanche of things that I want to contribute to this per, per particular round of discussion. One, I have been a therapist dealing with people's health problems for 37 years. And in my lifetime, I have seen beyond a shadow of a doubt that as technology makes things easier for people, they get more and more unhealthy. They do less and less. They don't think for themselves. They use gadgets to tell them what they do. They rely on algorithms, which there's no such thing as a human being that fits into an algorithm. That's a bunch of horse shit. The more we advance technology, the sicker we get because the less we engage nature, which we are a part of and which we need. And I could go on hours of dissertation on to, to demonstrate that I don't need to do that. Next, when they start talking about we're living a longer lifespan, that's absolute crap. Anybody can search this age adjusted lifespan statistics. And what you will find, I've got it right in books in my library. What they say, oh, uh, developmental man and, and, and uh, people even a couple of hundred years ago didn't live past about 35 or 36 years of age. What they don't tell you is that when they did those statistics, they counted all the people that died at birth, all the people that died from famines, from wars. When you look back at the things that, you know, the, we look, we have hospitals that are very busy because birth is a very challenging process and people die, even healthy people die. Birthing is tricky. You've got wars, you've got times without food. So what happens is when they take all the people that died through birth traumas and things that didn't live a normal life, and they do the statistics, the research shows that we are only living 1.5 years longer than we did, I believe, in 1840, that the average lifespan is approximately 78 and a half years, slightly different for men and women, a year and a half or year to year and a half different. And so we are living the same length of time that we did before, except that we're not living a quality life. We're just surviving, filling ourselves with pills and they're keeping people alive in hospitals to make money off of them that should have been dead a long time ago. So there's the age adjusted statistics issue. Then there's the mathematical view. Many great philosophers I've studied warn that the mathematical view of the world is a very narrow view of the world. What about the artistic view of the world? What about the poetic view of the world? What about a romantic view of the world? What about the view of the world as us as an expression of nature? What about 
the world as dance, play, and song? What about the musical expression of the world? All you got to do is study, study cymatics to see how music creates form. What about the whole concept of the music of the spheres, which I have personally heard at least four times in my life? Three, three times at least. I can't remember, but I've had at least three definite experience of hearing the sound of at least the solar system. I don't know how far out it went, but I heard music coming from within myself in deep states of meditation. And I remember thinking, did I leave my stereo on? And no, it was off. And so I said to my soul, what is that? And my soul said, you are hearing the music of the spheres. You're hearing the sound of the universe. And it blew my mind. What am I saying? I'm saying mathematics is just one way to view life. And you are using math to measure only what you can see. You're only using math as a single tool, which would be like going to a mechanic that's only got a screwdriver. And that would be a way to ruin an engine or a car. Then we have this other issue. Who's developing all these technologies? We are. We're developing all this transhumanism. We're the ones that are using our creative intelligence to create what looks like things that make life easier, but we're actually creating shortcuts that are destroying our ability to be healthy and interface with life. And I would like to say the same degree of intelligence that's used to create damaging technologies could be used to create good technologies. We can use advanced technologies to clean the ocean. We can use advanced chemistry to create better ways of interfacing with the soil that are biodegradable and that actually are sustainable and not dangerous. We can use advanced technology to create desalination. There's a, we can use advanced technology to create free energy. We already have the technologies. The problem is, is that we keep using our technologies under the influence of education and of a few rich leaders that are trying to direct us in one direction. And therefore, our creative abilities are being co-opted by people that have usually their own personal power and gain at heart. Then I'd like to talk about singularities. There's multiple singularities. Kurzweil's talking about one of them. Well, we've been talking about another two of them. One, if we don't pull our heads out of our asses and get clear on what it means to stay alive, it means taking care of the planet, we will have a singularity. It will be called dying together. That will be a singularity. We've got enough nuclear weapons to destroy the planet into dust 179 times over. All it's going to take is some nut job to push the button, and then our counter defenses will launch theirs, and we will be in a cloud of dust as souls going, what did we just do? That will be a singularity. So the question is, which singularity is going to come first, the technological singularity or the death singularity? Well, it's a race, isn't it, James? Yes. Yeah, it's an absolutely. ultimate race. And the technological singularity is death to what a human being is and what the planet is, because that mindset is the same mindset using technology to strip mine the planet. And it's the same damn people behind the Great Reset saying they're protecting nature that have stripped mine nature. Anybody that can't see that needs to take a very cold shower.
Then there's another singularity, and it's called Big C. Whatever it is, I mean, to be conscious, one definition of being conscious is awareness that you're aware. Well, what it is that's behind your awareness that you're listening right now is the big C that is ubiquitous, that is the creative force of intelligence that organizes matter and creates life. And that is the ultimate singularity. So if you want to go to the one singularity that really means something, some people call it God. Some people call it source. Some people refer to it as the zero point field. Some people choose not to call it a name because it creates problems, but they have a relationship with it like you and I do. That's my singularity. I go to that which creates it all. And because I have a relationship with that, I know that this is a beautiful expression of Maya. It's a beautiful illusion. I tell people all the time, look, if God is unconditional love, then the only way you can symbolize that mathematically is a zero. Because a zero is the only symbol that represents everything and nothing simultaneously. So I ask this question. If your mother, the womb which you came out of is a zero, are you a reality or a virtual reality? Well, if your mother's a zero, you can only be a virtual reality. And that's where the Hindu concept of Maya comes from, because when the sages penetrated consciousness, to the depths of it, there was nothing there and everything there. And you couldn't say it was this or that. And if you did, you were dead wrong. And you can't know anything about God because to become God is the only way you can know God. And to do that, you have to extinguish your ego. So there's nobody there to see anything. And I've been there. there I can only tell you what happened on the way in and on the way out. All I know is that when I was there is there's I can't say anything except it was just a state of, well, I, I think the closest I can get to is prajna or the Zen concept of pure awareness or the translucent light. So there's that. The other thing is people forget that words, all words are made of letters and all math is made of mathematical symbols. When people start objectifying a symbol, they kill the symbol. All symbols point to something beyond themselves. The math is not pointing to reality. It's pointing to something beyond the equation itself. But we have lost touch with the difference between a sign and a symbol. So when you start worshiping numbers as signs and forget that they're symbols, they're pointing to something that transcends them. And the number itself is an objective perspective but it's pointing to something that's beyond objectivity. Therefore, you cannot rely on any mathematical equation to be objective because it's transcendent if it's used, and it should only open your mind to a deeper explanation, and you quickly come to a place, as all mystics do, where there's nothing to measure. And that's the singularity that we're all an expression of, and anybody that connects to it not only realizes the importance of love and the importance of connection and the importance of community and the importance of religion and the importance of morality, but they all realize that we're an expression of the same source, which is big C, consciousness or unconditional love, which creates conditions so that it can love itself unconditionally. And so therefore, 
we've just described three singularities and we need to wake up to which one of those is sustainable. Two of them are not sustainable and the death on the planet is obvious an indication of that. And that's, that's my rant. It's just, just a little point on that. Consistent with that and consistent with Blake's fourfold vision and the single vision as being the the most basic and the one identified with materialism and the satanic or aramanic uh, approach. Uh, there's so many people that are on drugs because of their anxiety and pros, like all those things, that they're, they remain in those and even not fully awake in single vision because of that. And as a result, don't mind about vaccinations to stop, as Steiner talked about, but they will be unable to make it very, very difficult to expand themselves, to deal with, in, in a deeper sense, all those existential anxieties. And you know well from the study of the mystery traditions that the whole point of it, as attested even by Roman empires, was that after going through a, a mystery initiation, one lost one's fear of death, one lost anxiety. And the objective of keeping people in this state is to stop them going through that process of spiritual evolution. It's, it's deliberate to stop them getting in touch with the ecstatic and with the highest consciousness. And that is when, when you mentioned earlier on, which we'll talk a bit, a bit more about, uh, or which I don't know, we'll have time this, this, but the consciousness you're talking about is the essential consciousness of you are that in the, in the deepest sense. And that is the, is the solution. So, in this context, it's very, very important. When you, you asked uh, early on about the young people with all the uh, with all these problems, how do we go forward? The whole point is that it is as simple as that to start off to recognize for the individual that they are not the fragmented thing that they are told they are by the media with all these needs that are developed by algorithms but they are of the highest thing that we know of in the universe. They are that. They are that force. And once they understand that, or we understand that simple principle, then we realize that the spiritual consciousness, the, the imagination that Blake talked about, can be activated. It's very, very powerful. It's bigger than our cognitive mind. That What the artist does is allow those forces to operate. They get out of the way of those deeper forces, of the muses, of the inspiration. And that's what the artistic journey is. And that's why so many artists become mystics, because they open themselves. This, the, default net, the default network is uh, overridden, and we become receivers uh, in the way of the Kabbalah, or we empty ourselves. The meek shall inherit the earth. That's what the idea is. That's what the spiritual teachers are saying. Uh, and uh, uh, so, so really, we can't deal with the problems of the world unless we understand that basic principle and begin to recognize the I-Tao relationship, the consciousness in other people, other persons, the dignity of the persons, and the dignity of other beings, of other, of, of other animals, of, of the fauna, of the beauty, uh, of the fact that infinity is found in a flower when we cleanse the doors of perception, as Blake talked about. I agree 100%. You know, we're pretty far in, so I think I'll, I'll just sort of save some questions for a future uh, uh, 
rendezvous, you know? Um, but there's two things I want to close out with, um, because I really think these are important things. Um, first is a question, James, if we took a metaphorical look into the crystal ball of the future and ponder what happens if we don't work collectively to hold science, governments, and regulatory bodies responsible and moral, what do you see? Uh, it's very, very simple. You can, you can articulate in any terms you want. It's imprisonment, uh, slavery, zoo, being experimented upon. Uh, any variant of that is clearly what they have said they will do. Uh, and worse than that is that the prolongation of life might be a prolongation uh, to take away your ability to move on to the next domain, that your consciousness, if they prolong you in a way in the brains and VAT scenarios, to make it difficult uh, or more difficult uh, to to move on to the next domain. So like a suspended idea, animation. Yeah, so, so, some way like that. I, I, I think that might be possible. I, 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 now, it would only postpone the inevitable to a certain extent, but all kinds of weird scenarios become uh, available we, uh, when these things happen. We know that they're messing around with human genes and animals. We know that there's going to be a whole range of horrific Frankensteinian uh, experiments, that there's going to be nanotechnology released. So all there those is. horrible things. <laughs> there, all of those are. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, of degrees that will shock. We know that the robots will are uh, day by day will be more around us. We know that our freedom is being reduced. So all of those things lead to a horrible situation. I was in the Berlin Zoo with my daughter uh, uh, a few years ago. Uh, I brought her when she was young. And people forget that we only have to go back to the time my grandfather was born, that they had people in the zoo in, 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 in Berlin, that they had... They were they were human zoos. We'll be going back to that, but we won't have the freedom, perhaps, that 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 they might have had in their little cages. The capacity or the ability to interfere with our normal enjoyment of life will be very very uh, easy. With, Your with, thoughts, with the feelings, and emotions are all manipulable by this technology. It's happening right the second they've had patents on this for a long time. I did a patent search in the early nineties and found. U.S. military patents for electronic ray guns that could be used to manipulate people's emotions, to make them angry, to make them fearful, to disperse crowds. And they could hold these things that look just like a speaking megaphone and point it at a crowd and use it to disperse them. And they've come miles and miles in their technology since then. But now to balance it out, if we look into the crystal ball, with the concept of us getting clear that we all need the resources of the earth. We all need each other and we all need to individually become more honest, more moral and connect to each other and get rid of race, color, creed distinctions and say, we're all expressions of the earth and the cosmos and the divine or whatever you want. And that, the only way forward is to hold hands, circle the globe, 
and refuse to put money in the hands of anybody that's damaging our survivability and the future for our children. If we do that, what do you see in the crystal ball? Well, the the clear idea is that, and as you often emphasize in your talks, and as Blake consistently said, is that we need the contraries for progression. There is no progression without the contraries. And that's we know that, and you've often emphasized the exact same principle. So in some odd way, the fact that the pendulum has swung to the other side creates the opposite force. So the so 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 there are possibilities that emerge. The first point is that the situation is so stark and so clear that you really have to be on drugs or not to be able to see what's happening in some sense or or smell a rat in some sense. And you you have to begin to to, to see the patterns. Anyone that begins the journey, they don't go back. Once they cross the Rubicon and they say, this is fucked up, I want to see what, and they start off on the journey, they don't go backwards. I haven't heard anyone saying, yeah, I went that way and then I went back to where I was beforehand. It doesn't happen. And in every situation, it's happened, it happens to me regularly, people get in contact and they, they say, the world is not as I thought it was. And I've gone through that journey a long time ago, and uh, I was, uh, you can see the patterns. And then associated with that, they begin to understand that they are spiritual beings. They are spiritual beings. First of all, they are people. They're persons with inherent dignity. Now, I, I detest this imperial desire to to fragment us you have to be very very careful once you put something else higher than this the person with a spirit when you say you're white you're black you're chinese you're man you're one way all these things become used to segment us so don't do that whatever you are don't go and point a finger and say and then don't get into any of this nonsense that they do and say well he, he or she is responsible for all this history, especially when it's wrong, especially talking. It's, it's hard to get that stuff over an Irish person that knows their history, for, for example. But you can get it by another people who are indoctrinated in school when they do this uh, to try and create this division. You're a person that has inherent dignity. You have inherent dignity. All the different traditions say so. You have an inherent dignity because you have consciousness. You have spiritual consciousness, which is part of the consciousness of the universe, which is fundamental. It's the basis, uh, and scientists recognize that. And ideas of the quantum self and the idea that we are a field are increasingly being put forward by people like Federico Fagin, who is the person that developed computer chip technology and, and innovations there. So he's no... He's, he's no guy on the extremes. He's a person who's been very, very successful, who then had uh, experiences uh, of, of, of mystical consciousness that, that improved him. So uh, we, we have to understand that we are, are that. And I, then we begin to evolve individually. It has to be individually. I can't do anyone else's uh, evolution for them. They have to go through that process. Now, they, they should... The perennial philosophy suggests that there is a uniformity that, that we can find in a whole range of different traditions what we need, that we can see that there's a similar, as, as, as Blake said, uh, there is one religion, 
really underneath at all. It's the same thing. It's a perennial thing. But it, it requires that we recognize that we have divine consciousness in us, that we are divine consciousness. And because of that, we have to recognize the divine consciousness in others. We have the, the categorical imperative, do unto others as we want to be done unto you, is because of that inherent recognition. So the recognition it derives from first our own recognition. And then we begin to discover that there is a pattern. The, once we do, our spiritual consciousness is like water, it flows, it, it does, it, it's not stagnant. And there's a pattern to our evolution. And we can look back at and model the, the different stages. As Blake was talking about the fourfold vision, we can see this, this progression in all spiritual traditions where, that people go through by looking at the, the examples across cultures, whether it be Sufi or Catholic or Quaker or, or Kabbalah or, or whatever tradition. There, there are examples that we, that we can refer to. Now, organizationally, I think it's important that we begin to look back at the cooperative movement that has been downplayed because cooperatives can oust companies that are private and want to accumulate the property themselves or the profit themselves. And so they can go between communism and capitalism, and that's therefore why they're often suppressed. But if you look at people like A.E. Russell in Ireland, the mystic uh, who, who, who was a great friend of Yeats, who was a writer and a painter, and he led or was very important in the Irish cooperative movement, which had ramifications for some of the, in California, for example, <clears throat> you have, you had a collection of artists called the Dunites of Oceano. And some of them, some of the, some of them had connections with Ireland at that time. You had Halcyon, which is a Theosophist society, Point Loma, Trabuco, uh, Trabuco College was set up by, by Gerald Herd who had worked for the Irish cooperative movement. There is, so forms of living and how we cooperate is important because if you look at, even in the anarchist uh, school of Kropotkin and that, they, they said, no, competition is not the inherent, nature, the inherent idea of nature. It's cooperation. They Lamarckian, said they, 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 Yeah, yeah, say so cooperation is the key. So what we have to look at is new ways of living, and all those new ways of living have to go back to the ground of being and the ground itself, the soil, as Vandana Shiva in India uh, is explaining, as, totally. as was clear as was clear to people in Ireland up to recently, as is clear to indigenous people. So we have to go back to the soil. We have to uh, go back to some sense and some respect and some reverence. And A.E. Russell, the, the, the Irish mystic, he said that if you look at the falls of civilizations, it's usually associated with them moving away from the land. When they fail to maintain a relationship with the land, then they begin to fail. So we're going to have all kinds of movement. But what is necessary as well is that you be careful that you don't join in some other pseudo-organization. Ism. Yeah, ism, but also an organization which seems good. They get some good people involved, and it seems to be doing something to solve the problems because most of these organizations are controlled, and that's what the Irish politics shows. They're controlled. So the more we have individuals developing on their own, distributed, they can't be controlled, 
They can't be opposed. They can't be censored, but they can certainly coordinate, which like a murmuration of starlings. They can begin to influence each other subtly. They begin to learn off it, but they can't be controlled. And the benefit of having distributed people across is they begin to become the eyes for that invisible force. They can't be found. They can't be located on a machine, and they will be able to see things because the person, for example. There's an interesting story about a man. I think he's called Sweeney in the west of Ireland uh, in 19, uh, the end of the Second World War. He's the local postman, and he also he also takes the the weather forecast. He sees how much rainfall, and he goes to whatever. And he sent his report to Dublin, which they send to to London. And he got a request back. Are you sure this was right? That this he said it was a warm front. This was uh, in the fort. There's a warm front coming across the Atlantic. And and he got a strange request back and said, are you sure this is right? And he said, yeah, it's going to be warm. And because of that, the D-Day landings, they decided to go ahead on that particular day uh, because they knew the weather was going to be fine. Uh, and that was important. The point being that one individual somewhere doing something that doesn't seem important can become critically important. So well, everyone, while he was a postman. Yeah, I think he was a postman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, right. So, so he they was did doing it. two things. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's but, multi-talented. Uh, the point, I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he was a postman. But the point being, he's doing this this extra thing for the weather for the weather station uh, and a little piece of information, collecting a bit of information. The point is that there's loads of it. There's millions of individuals around the world. They could be cleaners. They could be drivers. They whatever. And they may gain access to the secrets of the world. In their distributed distributed way, they become a powerful force. That's why it's very, very important, I think, that people go on an individual journey. They begin to look at methods of cooperation. They begin to look at ways that they can communicate. And also, for example, you say about young people. Some of these young people could save the world. Some of these young people are what I would call digital white magicians. They could possibly be able to provide information, to provide analysis, etc. They have skills that can contribute towards uh, discourse or communicate information that's relevant. That's up to every individual to do what, what's, what's in their sphere. And you, when people in the... Oh, sorry, I was going to say, did you see? did I send you that picture? of how the kids have figured out by using makeup and hair, they can trick the face recognition software in the phone so they can't be spied on and tracked? <laughs> I, I don't, oh, I, I got to send that to you. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It's exactly what you're talking about. Young kids that are geniuses figuring out ways because they say they don't want to be spied upon. It's all these like teenagers and college kids. So they found out which face paints put in the right areas which are the facial recognition confuse the facial recognition system and they have bangs on their hair with colors on it that reflect the light and they can't be tracked on their phone i saw that and i just said hallelujah we have young geniuses coming that are outsmarting the spy systems and the technology i'm a complete agreement with you there has to be it has to be a non-violent movement it has to be distributed. It has to be based on individual human persons who have a robust, a robust analysis, which is correct of what's going on, 
and have uh, have a uh, therefore an ability to see what needs to be done to solve it and and are not willing to be or wanting to be overtaken by a false movement by a movement which is created which often happens to take off the steam to take the power to incre- increase the disillusion which is not controlled by outside forces so so uh, they're, they're positive and simple things that can be done, but they're all dependent on the individual activating their spiritual consciousness. That, that, that's the critical dimension. And not farming it out, not outsourcing it to an organization that's probably not concerned about, about your own thing. Now, I know there's loads of good people in the churches and doing, doing the work, but my strong vision in the last few years is, again, for me, and this is for me, that Christ has left the building. doesn't mean that Christ has gone away, but that force, that person, that incarnation uh, was not saying to invest all his goodwill and power in buildings, in structures, in networks to facilitate certain agendas, to hide wrongdoing for other purposes. That's not what it's about. And anyone reading any of the Gospels couldn't come to that conclusion. But that doesn't mean that that force uh, is not there. We have to draw on all the spiritual teachers that we have, and never have we had access to, to so, so many, many spiritual people. And we have to we have to really go across form links. Uh, it's going to be very very difficult because in the, in my my idea, the breakdown of civilization conversations like this could be increasingly uh, difficult. Not just because they'll want to cancel you in the future, <laughs> but because of uh, they're going to break down these networks. They're giving them to us. They're making us dependent, but they're going to make let you know that you're dependent. It's the same as the the the, the drugs that you know a drug pusher uses. Get you addicted and process. threaten to take it away. Yeah, or make them very expensive or break them down. They've even started with Facebook, you know, going into having breakdown. People use them. They're dependent on them. So there's a lot of there's a lot of positive things if the model is right that's what i've been trying to think of models look at models that work those things i'm certain of are are, are the only ways they'll work and haven't looked at and haven't talked to people uh, in the family going back to my father's uncles that were involved in military struggles against uh, the british empire etc and all that and looking at what happened and what didn't happen and looking at bodies like the IRA and talking to occasionally in, in various meetings of people that were involved in those things and seeing what happens. And seeing, for example, the IRA was fairly taken over by Marxists. There was a, there was a split between a, a Catholics, uh, a nationalists and, and Marxists. It happens in every in everybody. And then you have also the British spies and all these things. Don't invest your hope in any institution organization but seek to develop yourself and and then once you do so uh, the universe will begin to to open up once you put your head above the para- parapet you'll find that there's a magnetic force between people who are going on the same journey and you will find that contacts happen and in the future what you what you said about well if if the individual evolves they become more honest honest people Look for other honest people. When you have values of honesty, well, then you don't have to create a simulacra that replaces honesty. A lot of financial systems are because people don't trust other people. 
when you build up those values of 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 honesty uh, and uh, openness when you realize that that i might you might judge something in my life and say well i wouldn't agree with that or how and they're not saying you person but an individual might judge another person and say i don't agree with how they run their life an open-minded person should be willing to tolerate differences and to realize that they may be in a particular place but it's not the the ultimate answer so the idea of a kind of pragmatic cosmopolitan uh, society where people are allowing each other to 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 explore certain things comes into that not being so judgmental and not thinking there's only one way because the the good way or what seems to be the good way may become an evil way and that's what Blake said that there is no good and evil absolute power brings absolute corruption yeah yes you know you and I'm I'm going to close out here with a statement from from me um Jung said, no man is fully alive until he has the power to destroy himself. We're there. We should all be dancing in the streets. And it's a miracle we haven't destroyed ourselves yet on many, many fronts. And I personally say this is the most exciting time to be alive because right now everybody has something to think about and participate in that's genuinely meaningful to the very core. It's life or death. This is a time to share. This is a time to get rid of censorship. This is a time to, you know, uh, if a law is unlawful, then it's criminal to follow the law. And we are being forced into unlawful laws one after the other. And we have got to be strong enough to use our intelligence, our understanding of health and vitality to get rid of the masks. We got to, you know, masks make you already into a robot. You don't even know who's behind the mask. It's kill. It's defacing. Yeah, it's defacing. It's brainwashing. We've got to look and use our common sense. Most mothers have enough common sense to know how damaging this is to their children. And, and we all have a history of humanity. We've got an entire history book of medicine and how native healers and how everyone healed. You know, whenever you're sick, get rest, eat real food, chicken soup for the soul and chicken soup for the body, not canned shit. We have the most exciting event in the history of this planet in our laps right now. And I wake up every day excited to say, what can I do to participate? How can I do what I love to do in ways that help other people feel inspired to do what they love to do? I don't think that this thing needs to be looked at like a torture thing. I think if everyone realizes if I'm just a little more loving, a little more honest, a little more um, disciplined in my investigation of what is true and what isn't true, if I'm a little more discerning about who I trust and listen to, if I'm wise enough to start following the money to see, well, where does the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation lead when I follow the money? Where does the vaccine industry lead when I follow the money? If you just use that one motive to do your own research, then the clear that things become much more clear very quickly. My, my closing point here is this is not a time to cave in. This is not a time to say, well, screw it. I'll just get shot up and be like everybody else 
because it might be the end of you and a painful slow end based on what's going on. This is the time to sing the truth if you love to sing. Take a playbook page out of Bob Dylan's playbook. This is the time to be the artist that creates images that help tap us in to the next guiding myth that brings us back together again. This is the time to dance the truth. This is the time, if you like to write, to write as much as you can based on sound, rational logic, and your own emotional experience and connection to life and connection to nature. Whatever it is that you love to do, if you do it with the intention of bringing people into harmony and bringing ourselves back into harmony with nature and becoming honest about what these corporations are doing and how we can pressure them into transforming to meet the needs of life, not money, we'll come out of this thing and we can be proud of ourselves and we can extend the life and the education to the kids as to what they have to do in the future to keep from falling into the trap that we've fallen into. I think right now is the greatest time to be alive and we should all remember that and we should all stand up for our sovereignty and for our human creativity and access our true potentials. Every one of us came here with a soul guiding us and if our soul brought us here, our soul can guide us. My soul guides me. I know your soul guides you. This is the time to truly become spiritual, not some foo-foo spiritual bullshit, but to develop, as you said, a deep relationship with that which is inside of you, that which knows what you don't know, that which lives in your heart and is oriented toward love, connection, honesty, and truth, and what's good for all of us. That's my closing message. And if you have a last quick one uh, to share before I close out, go quick ahead. Quick one. Remember that uh, for people that are enforcing the principles that the, the Nuremberg trial said that superior orders is no defense, that you have an obligation in certain cases not to follow uh, follow the rules. And in relation to uh, people that have been say vaccinated i'm not talking i'm not uh, talking to, to or, or, or criticizing anyone that has made whatever decision that they make what i would say you must be aware that not only are you being forced to do it uh but and that your rights have been taken away in the process but once this has happened once the precedent has been set so the next time whatever it next. is and it'll be easier and you're contributing to that so, so so it's very important that you must recognize we are in a scientocracy which is totalitarian in its nature and this is the time to find to commit ourselves to spiritual evolution to become homo spiritualis if, if we need be as opposed to becoming extinct because that's the consequence that a lot of scientists have said that will be over in a generation or two so i'm very positive as well uh, and it, that contrast is the very contrary which will make progression happen. It will make progression happen and people will understand the benefits of some of the higher values that the spiritual teachers have been taught about. Thanks very much for the conversation, Paul. I, oh, my uh, pleasure. I enjoyed you know, that. It was great. You talked about the pendulum and the necessary of polarity for consciousness. Well, the pendulum is heavy to the rationalist, materialist, scientocracy side 
I say, let's just jump on the damn thing and use our weight to pull it back the other way. <laughs> right. And yes, what do I mean by exactly, that? Exactly. Yeah. Use technology to help people connect. Use technology to create novel ideas like how to outsmart the facial recognition software. Find better ways to rehabilitate the soil. Whatever it is that your soul calls you to do, what, when you're working with love, the magic happens. The lid comes off the black box we call an ego. And then you have mystical experiences. Then you realize consciousness is guiding you. So I think... And last point, put away your mobile phone when you're on the train and talk to the person beside you and find out who they are. They might be the most interesting person in the world. And look at, and when, when you're a young person and you see an old guy across the way, engage in conversation and you might learn, you might open a few doors, a man or a woman or whoever. And, and don't make presumptions because they come from a different context about who they are and put a person above the technology, a real person. Amen. So in closing, James, thank you. Your depth of knowledge is truly impressive. Your depth of knowledge of history and the broad scope of topics is exciting. I get to learn so much whenever I hang out with you. So thank you for your contributions. And I'm I, I'll tell you what, there's no end to the number of times I want to have you on this podcast. So uh, if anyone tries to kill you, tell them they have to get my permission first because we have to have <laughs> at least 100 more podcasts together. And thank you to the sponsors for all your love and support and for being great examples of honesty, sustainability, high quality. And it's great to have sponsors whose products are exactly what they say they are and do what they say they are. And thank you for all of you for anything you buy from the sponsors because a little uh, commission comes to the podcast to help me uh, run the podcast and, and pay the staff to do everything we need to do. So I'm very grateful for that. And thank you to all of you. I hope that you feel more educated. And both James and I are Again, saying, don't believe anything we're saying. Follow the references. Go to the show notes. Study. Look into it. This is not a time to be passive. If you don't agree with us, that's fantastic. But make sure that you're not agreeing with us because you're brainwashed or out of a dogma. Make sure you go get the knowledge to look at our opinions and carefully counterbalance them against yours and then stand in the middle and then see if you agree or not. And that's how you grow real intelligence. So lots of love. We are safe. We are home. We are whole. Aho, great spirit. It is done. It is done. It is done. See you next time with another exciting exploration. Bye-bye. Are you possessed? Hello, I'd like to offer you an opportunity to invest in a full audio download program that is very, very comprehensive on the issues of entity possession by myself, Paul Check, holistic health practitioner, founder of the Check Institute and PPS Success Master Program, as well as my partner in this program, Kedrich Olson, a specialist in paranormal protection work, a Norse mystic, and spiritual guidance coach. His expertise has been showcased on Gaia TV, Coast to Coast Radio, and popular podcasts. This amazing, detailed program may be the most comprehensive of its kind in the world today. Entity possession is a field I've studied quite extensively because of how often I've found these issues directly or indirectly linked to patients and clients' physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual challenges. 
With the combined knowledge Kedrich and I share in this full-length program, you are not only getting one of the most comprehensive educations available worldwide on the topic, but we share a lot of highly practical information anyone can use to prevent or heal from entity possession. For an investment of only $39.95, you get the full download program, which includes nine and a half hours of information that includes the following sections or titles. What are entities? Internally generated entities, entities of a personal nature, ghosts, thought form entities, fairies, nature spirits, angels, spirit guides, entities from other planes of existence, dragons, and my experience working with dragons, consciousness and quantum physics, psychotic episodes, spiritual emergency, or spiritual emergence, researching, exploring, and validating psychic phenomenon, servitors, tulpas, poltergeists, and near-death experiences, how people get possessions, multiple personality disorder, dissociative disorders, and information about the Black Madonna, the types of disassociative disorders including fatigue states, depersonalization disorder, psychogenic non-epileptic seizures, and the section determine the difference between entity possession or complexes as defined by Carl Jung, other common means of acquiring entity possession, the importance of doing healing work on yourself to prevent entity possessions, psychedelics, ley lines, extended isolation, the nocebo effect, all as sources of entity possession, mediumship, electromagnetic stress, acts of evil, evil or negative spells, common indicators anyone can use to identify if they have an entity possession, sleepwalking, a healing ceremony story of entity possession and tips you can use, plus more on spiritual emergence and the importance of consistent spiritual work. Key tips for preventing entity possession, seance, well-being in the four doctors, and how to prevent entity possessions. The importance of having a dream, goals, and objectives in your life, core values, six foundation principles, and learning to discern one's own thoughts and feelings from external sources, setting boundaries, controlling one's environment, biogeometry, love and higher frequency vibrations that can protect anyone from entity possession, a simple powerful technique for having your soul clear you of negative entities, disembodied souls or spirits that can have negative effects at every level of your body-mind. What to do if someone is confident that they do indeed have an entity? What are some self-help solutions to clearing and preventing their return and suggestions for finding professional help? And we finish with some closing comments. To invest in your full Are You Possessed audio download program and start learning and exploring this fascinating and very real topic now, go to thecheckshop.com forward slash product forward slash r dash u dash possessed forward slash. Once again, that's the C-H-E-K shop dot com forward slash product forward slash r dash u dash possessed forward slash. I hope you enjoy this fascinating program. It's very deep. Kedrich brings a wealth of knowledge and experience into the program. And as you are about to learn, these are very real issues and you might be surprised to find that there are issues in your own life, either in your own body-mind or in your family or in your circle of friends, particularly if you go to ceremonies where psychedelics are being used in groups. Enjoy. 
Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, James Tunney. You can find James's website at jamestunney.com. That's J-A-M-E-S-T-U-N-N-E-Y.com, where you can find his books, artwork, and links to other interviews that he has done. Follow Paul Check on Instagram at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and get your free subscription to Czech videos and more at the Czech Institute's new media site, chekiva.com. Remember, you can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at czechinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Thank you.